right, we are rolling. Welcome to What Are You Guys Talking About? What are you guys talking about? All right, thank you very much, everybody. We are on with the top 10 films. And actually, strangely enough, Eddie and I have actually had like 10 minutes extra. And we haven't recorded that, so unfortunately, you'll never get those special features. <laughs> All the good stuff won't be on the Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So, but we're here for the first of our top 10 films. I had Eddie pick it because I hadn't quite figured out my list yet. We're going to be talking about one of the seminal films of the new millennium, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. First of all, what a great title. Yeah, yeah. I mean, homage, homage. You know, yeah. homage to Romero. If you're a horror buff, you know, if you're a zombie buff, like, yeah, you've got to pay your dues. And we're going to talk about this film. Definitely pays its dues. You know, Edgar Wright is is actually a director I don't know much about. Ed has been the one who introduced to me one of our first screenings together. Our Roger and you know our Siskel and Ebert screenings. Mm-hmm. He took me to the cinema to see Baby Driver because all he kept doing. You was took talk- me. It was my birthday. That's you, right. You but all you kept doing was talking about this guy and how amazing his films was. And then you brought up two films, Shaun of the Dead and Scott Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which are two like my favorite films. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a whirl. And like, yeah, we um. We definitely love his style. We'll talk yeah. about that. But anyway, let's get the, the brass tack stuff out. Please, thank you for listening. If you like what you're listening, please subscribe to our podcast found on SoundCloud or, or any other you know podcast platform that you like. I use Player FM quite a bit now to catch my podcast. You can find us on, on, on you know uh, Apple Music now. We're on that. So whatever you need to use to find us, please do like and subscribe. And comment. We like to generate a bit of a buzz. Yeah, okay? let, us so, know, let us know what you think. Yeah, you know, we've got a couple of subscribers that are now talking about what they like, what they don't like. But this is the thing. We want you to start talking about these films, too, because we learn from discussing these with you. So catch us on social media. Um, Facebook, we have the Law of Victoria Productions uh, page. We have Edward Burgos. You have Jason Chiro. Any of those ways are a good way to get a hold of us. On Twitter, we have out. At, sorry, at Mouth Love Victoria. That's me. So I do check that quite regularly. If you want to get into a Twitter discussion, by all means, drop me a quick tweet and we can talk film or anything else, to be honest with you. We have Instagram where we have Anano LVP. He holds up the kind of company end on Instagram. Or you can check us out on Jazzy J. Shiro. I do post usually the um, podcasts and the videos onto mine as well. We have a LinkedIn profile under Love Victoria Productions, or again, you can find me, Jason Shiro, there. If you're wanting, Ed, are you on LinkedIn? Um, oh, maybe at one point in time. At one point in time, but not back back when Ed was an actual professional, and now he's just kind of a so-called professional now I'm an artist. <laughs> exactly. He says that looking straight up into the sky. It's wonderful. So you can catch us all those different ways. The best way to get a hold of us is always though to go to our website www.lovevictoriaproductions.com. I just showed it to five people today that didn't even know it existed that I've worked with for you know probably three years. They were blown away just with all the content that's there, all the fun stuff, everything you can learn. And there's going to be more coming soon. So I'm looking to do an update to the website probably in the next couple of weeks because we've got some new projects going on. Some of the old projects should be kind of filtered to stuff we've been working on. But there's just a lot to see there. So please check it out. Have fun. Comment, subscribe, drop us an email. If you have new projects, new music videos, new anything else that you want to get down with us with, we are also open for that. So please, by all means, get a hold of me if you have a project you want us to work on. With that in mind, we will kick it off with Sean of the Dead. Yes. Which, which uh, 
kicks off so beautifully with that music from Dawn of the Dead. Exactly. It's it's been God, that has been before Shaun of the Dead ever came out, yeah. that was one of my favorite theme tunes. It was always I had a CD that used to play it all the time and everybody oh, always asked because yeah. Dawn of the Dead, George Romero, mm-hmm. one of my you know, I'm a horror guy, so that's one of my guys. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah. social commentary via horror movies is yeah. my thing. Brilliant. So Kicking us off then, let's do kind of a recap of what we're talking about then. So Shaun of the Dead was a 2004 film. Mm-hmm. Cast included Simon Pegg and who else? Ed? Nick Frost um, playing his best friend Ed. Kate Ashfield as uh, Liz. Uh, Lucy Davis from The Office as Diane. Dylan Moran off of Black Books as David. And Penelope Wilton and Bill Nye as um, Simon Pegg's character, Sean, his uh mother and stepfather there's also a whole spattering of you know early 2000s comedians that's right so there's a lot of cameos in it the other ones i would mention that are important Mm -hmm. um yvonne and i can't remember her name because i don't have it in front of me but Uh, so jessica stevenson at the time jessica hines now okay so jessica hines is that's simon Pegg's ex-writing partner for space that's right so they they came up with space so you have to think of this as all again i was researching all of this and fascinated by it because again this was before my time in england so before i was over here but you know a lot of this is put together by Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, and another key person in that is near is Nira is her Naira, name Naira. Naira. Sorry, I'm terrible with names, but Naira Park. I, I you know kind of researched you and was God so impressed by background. So it forms the production company, kind of sits behind space to start out with yep. Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's brainchild with with Yvonne, Jessica who is Stevenson. with Jessica Stevenson's work. Yeah. Then they move on to do Shaun of the Dead, was kind of their breakout. Yeah, um, their first film together. That's right. And then basically every good thing that they've done since they've kind of done through that production company which gets acquired by itv in 2013 mm. which is the same year that the world's end came out which is the end of the cornetto trilogy yeah same company that gave you baby driver as well so this is this is part of the thing i guess the reason i'm bringing up is you find this these are the crews yeah. that hang together it's it's not something to be fair as a producer myself i often promote my guys switching onto different teams and not getting used to that. But what you will actually find in practice is that this is how it happens. If you get people you like working with, you will continue to do that over and over because it becomes, I wouldn't say like a machine, but just a, a creative outlet yeah, for everybody. there's a shorthand to everything and there's an, you know, a way that you, you know someone's expectations and you, you can anticipate things. I think it's when you find a good team and, and you can build a good team, that is essential for any filmmaking. I, I would agree. I mean, one of the things I remember Ed sending me, so when we first formed this company back in June, God knows how long ago, three years ago now, I was desperate for him to show me kind of how to collaborate because one of the funniest things it is when you just decide you're going to be a filmmaker is you immediately wonder, wait, how do I actually do any of this? And so I can tell you from a personal standpoint, like you, I can talk film up the wazoo and I can mm-hmm. talk to just about anybody up to the wazoo um, and certainly I had people behind me saying, yeah, he's a producer now, but internally guys, like not a clue just yeah. saying, ah, what do I do now? What yeah. do I do as a producer? Do I make films? How do I yeah. make films? So Ed showed me this really awesome YouTube video of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg on their writing style. Yeah. And I have to say, it's amazing. They, they, they lock themselves in a hotel for like three days. They do similar things to what I do now with boarding and kind of putting everything up and then having charts, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, it's it's a wonderful way to, to, to do it, but it's also amazing to see how collaborative they are together. Yeah. And I guess that's my message, is the one thing I learn over and over and over in film is this is not a singular person's work. Hmm. And the problem is the way it's presented to you, it, you will, seems that way, it will yeah. always seem that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how I had it in my head. And I do tend to be quite the lone wolf, so... You know what I mean? It was one of those things that I was like, well, what? You need, you need the help. No, you, you, you can't make a decent film. And so that's the only reason I'm giving a bit of extra background here um, in my usual long-winded fashion mm. because it's important to understand that this was like, this is a family that has yeah. made these films. They've been working together um, for a long time. And I remember time. seeing them. So I was very lucky enough. I sat next to Andy Nyman, who you probably thought I was stalking you because that was the third premiere we sat next to. But that particular year, The World's End came out. I was getting tickets to all the London premieres. Long story, which I won't go into. Just was lucky enough to do that. And they had them all up at the end, you know, mm. kind of talking, because that was the end of the Cornetto trilogy. Oh, so cool. And it was amazing, because it is a family. Like, yeah. these are people that love each other, that, like, would do anything for each other, that love collaborating with one another. So that's first key tip that we're getting out of top ten films, is find yourself a film family and yeah, build it. For sure. Okay? Ed and I, we're very much in the process of doing that right now. If you go on our website, you'll see some of our connections. You know, we haven't come to a landing yet on the people we're going to be working with you know, all the time moving forward, but we no, definitely and, have and our you favorites. Wanna, you definitely want to stay open. And, you know, when you have a good experience, like we had on Shredders, for example, right. uh, you know, it makes you feel like, oh, whatever this person wants to do next, like, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for it, right. Yeah. So we have a couple like that. Katie Bond, shout out to you. We always mm -hmm. like collaborating with you as well. Um, okay, so that's my 10 seconds of getting us completely off topic and talking about the background. So what other things should we give as far as background? I mean, I don't want to spoil it because I'd rather you listen to this and then if you haven't seen the film, go yeah. out and watch the film. Sure. But the basic premise, Ed, yeah. how, about, how about kind of give, setting out? So um, Simon Pegg plays Sean, who is a late 20s, early 30s uh, guy who is in a bit of a rut. Um, in his relationships uh, with his parents and his family, in his relationship with his housemates, uh, and in his uh, romantic relationship uh, with Liz. Um, and it all kind of comes to a head when the zombie apocalypse starts. And that's basically it. Hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you this question, because we're going to start the discussion. Ask it. So, because... Again, stories, production and story, my things. Those are those are the two things I'm always obsessed with because yeah. I love them. Story. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm using my Save the Cat. That, that's like my safety blanket these yeah. days. Um, the zombies are the B movie, are the B story. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the best things about this film. So all I was going to say to you is you say, oh, his life comes to a head because of the zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. I would say, no, that's the whole point. Like his life comes to the head and then the zombie apocalypse just happens to happen at the same time. Fair, fair comment. Um, it's very English. Like yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. my life has just fallen to pieces. Ah, mm. oh, crap! And there's a zombie apocalypse. Right, but what drives him? What kind of motivates him to kind of get up and and do stuff? Um, is maybe what lights the fire? I would say um, is is the fact that you know the dead are walking. And I think that that was important from a sales point of view. Okay. Because um, I think it's all fine and dandy to say, oh yeah, I'm making a zombie rom-com, uh, which is great. I think it gets producers excited to, to hear something interesting that they haven't heard of before. Um, but, you know, one of the 
as you very well know, uh, one of the reasons why horror is such a big thing for young filmmakers or filmmakers that are starting out is that as a genre, it makes money. Yeah, yeah. People go see horror. Yeah. God knows I drop a bunch of bones on it. Yeah. I mean, me too, right? Um, But, yeah, you're definitely right. It's it's a very English story. I just... I'm coming down, again, because I'm very pedantic with story points, right? So, has the crisis, gets mm-hmm. drunk, mm-hmm. writes down on the board. Mm-hmm. What is it? Get, get Liz back. Get Liz back, mm-hmm. talk to mom, yeah. sort life out. Yeah. So, in my mind, and this is this is what I love about debate, because this mm-hmm. is just debate mm-hmm. here. In my mind, before the zombie apocalypse happens... He's it's, made the decision. He's made the decision, the Absolutely. catharsis himself, to yeah. say... I have to sort my, my, I'm being, you know, I can swear. I, I'm sorting, I have to sort my shit out. Yeah. And and so it just so happens that the next morning when he wakes up and he's trying to sober up and there's this, there's this lovely scene. That it's, scene it's is It's one of so my favorite scenes. Yeah. So there's, there's this scene, right? Because we're not, as I said, we're going to throw in mild spoilers, but you, you still need to go watch the film. But there's this scene when the zombie apocalypse is now in full swing. He's been out on the lash because he broke up with his girl. He's real upset. And he just goes to his local corner store. And all of this is very London. Even London today. That's what yeah. I liked about it is this is very London. So he gets up to go to his corner store to pick up a can of something. He can just wants... Coke. Yeah, he just wants... Which... To... Uh, keep going. I, I, I'm going to have to dissect this scene because... Go on. All right. We'll let him dissect it. But, but he picks it up, goes in, he, not even noticing that the entire world has gone zombie. <laughs> even the guy who owns the bodega, yeah. which he's going into... Yeah. He just, shop for those he's like, oh, I was, a bit, I was a bit short, mate. I was a bit short. Walks out and then goes back to sit down. Not even like dawning on him that uh that the world is in peril yeah so break down the scene for this though buddy so earlier in the film um he makes the exact same walk okay and the camera moves are exactly the same i see he meets the exact same people he meets a kid doing keepy uppies outside his door Uh uh-huh uh, he meets. I really uh, found out that's what you guys call that, by the way. Yeah. I thought that was a joke, and it was like, no, it's called keepy up. He like, meets right. uh, a homeless guy who asks him for some change. Uh, he goes into the shop, and he grabs himself a full fat coke, and goes pays, and he sees uh, in the newspaper there's some stuff about something. In the first on. scene, because this comment, yeah. the second scene is there's no papers, mate. Yeah. yeah. So in the second scene, which is again the exact same walk. He walks past the kid who's doing keepy uppies. That's right. Zombie, that's right. No, and no, no, he no. doesn't notice. Uh, walks past the homeless guy who is now just walking with a lead and no dog. Mm. And he's like, sorry, man, ain't got no change. Walks past a runner that in the previous scene was just jogging. But in this scene, he's just yeah, sprinting. She, she just yeah, flies yeah. by him. Yeah, uh, Goes past a car that in the first scene was being washed. In this scene, it's like broken into and all this. And then goes into the shop, slips on some blood. That's on right. The floor. As he's walking, as he gets his can out, yeah. he whoop. He also opens the the fridge door without looking at it and seeing a the bloody blood prints on it. Yeah, no, I'm remembering it. all of this. Yeah, he goes to pick up a full fat coke, and then decides to take a diet coke, which I think supports your theory that he'd made his decision to change his life. And the zombie apocalypse just happened to happen well, at that, at that, and, in and that moment. It's the combination of the two factors that I think, as I said, indie filmmakers trying to put out our thought process and help you if you want to make films and think about how we do this. Like, 
this is the amount of detail you have to yeah. get into when you're thinking about creating the scene. That's why Ed and I work so well together because Ed can see the, the camera movements and I can usually see the story. I, I'm completely with you. And the other thing that was really getting me, because I watched this last night, the other thing that was really getting me is your love of 1917 now makes even more sense because Edgar Wright shoots mm -hmm. in that style. Yeah. So if you want to see even better long shots with a camera following yeah. a character, you know, with a camera following a character which mm -hmm. does a certain type of storytelling, yeah. watch Edgar Wright's stuff. Ed, He's yeah. very good at coming around a corner with someone on the shoulder mm -hmm. and then going into their environment. And yeah. what that does, it's almost a first person perspective yeah. because you are experiencing the day as they see yeah. it. And it's so funny with Simon Pegg in that situation because, you know, Sean is just hung over. Yeah. So, I mean, he it's has this... such a perfect performance. Yeah, no, and we've all been there. If you've yeah, lived yeah. in England long enough... And you're, you... not, you're not paying attention to what's going on around you, you know, and it's, it's funny you, you bring that up because I think Edgar Wright, one of the reasons why I consider him to be a personal favorite director of mine... Sure, sure. ...is that although he is very stylistic and you can usually tell an Edgar Wright film... So much of it comes from his love of Romero and Argento films and, you know, the, the, the sci-fi movies of the 70s. And, and I think that that makes him a kind of like savant of so many different techniques. No, he, he reminds me in, in a certain fashion, he reminds me of an English Tarantino. That's funny you say that. Yeah, he, uh, Tarantino has often said that, that Shaun of the Dead is one of his favorite films. And, and it's the kind of thing where yeah. I would say, and this is no slight on you, I, this is, I'm, about to, I'm about to slate somebody, aren't I? I always <laughs> say this before I slate somebody. But Tarantino, to me, occasionally, yeah. occasionally can be style over yes, substance. Absolutely. And sometimes people are like, oh my God, that was so cool as a movie. And I'm like, uh, I'm not so cool sure about it like I know exactly what you sometimes mean. like those are kind of movies so if you've got style over substance for me i will pay to see it in the cinemas yeah i won't buy the dvd exactly. i want to watch it once it's like going to a party i want to go to the party i want to hang out with the people mm -hmm. and when it's done i don't have to know any of those people right you know what i mean yeah so edgar wright there's just that you know because a bunch of his films are some of my favorites so scott pilgrim we are likely to talk oh, about yeah. again because that is on my top so five. Good. So I'm li we're likely to bring this up again, at, yeah. you know. And then Baby Driver, which yeah. just blew me away because Baby Driver was one of those films that it looks style over substance, but then you kind of get through the cracks on it and you realize the reason it works is it's just a simple story told well. Yes. And so it's he's not style over substance. It's just to keep that balance beautifully. You on had a, to in that on, film on because raises it. that film, if you haven't watched it, that film is literally just music from one scene yeah. to another. It's really difficult because it's part of the, the, the thing of the film. But I guess, yeah, that's what I mean. You can see where in Tarantino, I don't always see the love. And yeah. he will proclaim it from the rooftops. Tarantino said, I love this and I love that. Mm. I, Tarantino's maybe a bit like me. He's more narcissistic than that. So I see more Tarantino yeah. than I see the Edgar Wright. I think certainly in later films. I think yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, you know, I can really. I'm a very narcissistic no, person. No, no. So I, and, I, and, I can... and when someone tells you, "Oh my God, you are a genius of film. Yeah, what you are you going to do? Greatest yeah, no, no, director no, no. of our, you know, of please, our time. please don't do that with us. You can give us boatloads of money if you want, but <laughs> inflate my ego to your peril. It's, yeah, it's just it's 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 a dangerous situation. That's and, right. And I think that Edgar Wright is interesting uh, before he made. Um, Shaun of the Dead he obviously worked on Space he worked on a cable comedy show 
on Comedy Central when it first came out with David Williams okay. and Matt Lucas, the guys from Little Britain. All right. So that's kind yeah, of Yeah, Matt Lucas has them. a cameo in, yeah. in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was quite tied with those guys. And before that, he self-made uh, a film, which is called A Fistful of Fingers, huh. which I have, and I'm totally happy to show it to you. I will have to watch it at some point. Because it's very much a young kid living in Devon or Cornwall and just getting his mates together and making a Western. Really? A, a Western comedy, How yeah. lovely. And so you see the kind of the seeds so of it, what so, would come So it's later. like Son of Rambo kind of stuff. Kind of, yes. Yeah. But, you know, you he made it. Film. He made it. Like, he released it. He talks about going to the premiere where, you know, his mum was there and like eight other people. And uh, oh, Ed's smiling because like this is our lives right yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, it just it just makes me feel warm inside because it's like because we appreciate what that yeah. means. Like guys, I mean, we 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 want more people listening to the podcast, and we definitely would like to make it as filmmakers. But to be fair, the whole reason we started back doing the Guinness because it just makes us happy. It's the like, journey, man. This is the best part. I was just talking about this at my day job that like it is something about a Friday that I love because I get to go see my best friend and talk about. My favorite thing, yeah, movies and talk about making stuff. And yeah, that's it's so exciting. But anyway, so, and sorry for the derailment. No, it's not. A, we've had plenty of those, and that's the point of the podcast. That's why you know it goes, you know, ninety minutes, two hours. So the only other thing I would point out that that in, in part of the story you were telling that I found out doing research is actually Shaun of the Dead is based on one of his episodes of Space. Yes. So one it, of my favorite episodes. Yes. Yeah, so there's an episode of Space apparently where the character and I have never seen the show, but the character yeah. takes too much amphetamines and then <laughs> and plays he's playing Resident, Resident Evil all night. This is why I'm telling you you would love this. I will. Stuff. I'm going to have to watch it, of course. And but... this is it's it's a it's it's an episode called Art and there's like a deconstruction of like modern performance art in it, which again Shows layers because that in and of itself, right? He's high on amphetamines. He's played Resident Evil all day. He goes to an art show, gets drunk, and starts hallucinating. There's a zombie apocalypse. Oh my god! Sounds amazing. Right, just that. Right, sounds like oh, that'd be a fun sitcom episode. But then there's layers about well, and see this is in slight tangent again. We'll have lots of those today, as is our top ten films. Uh, this is why sometimes British comedies, especially older era comedies, can be difficult for me to get into. Fair. Mighty Boosh, okay, yeah. everybody raves about it. I have watched it in, I say enjoy, but then yeah. I'm like, but I always I feel like that. I'm missing yeah. something. I will say though that that is, I mean... Because that's surrealist, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, in, usually in, in comedy, as I'm sure you know, people talk about um, surrealist comedy... And they talk about kind of real life comedy, can we, can, experiential. Yeah, but, but can comedy. we can we correct that slightly? English people, yes. Like sorry. America, right. we have comedy, and it's like Jordan Peele used to do comedy, Dave Chappelle, Chris mm. Farley, Saturday Night Live. But uh, were they observational comics? I don't know if you can I, categorize I don't, I don't, them. That like, way. I'm sure this is just yeah. showing my ignorance. I'm sure there are groups of comedy writers in America that spend. Yeah. Tons of times thinking that. What gets me is in England, uh, you're not talking about comedy troops that know these different designations. Uh, Most normal people would be like, oh, that's Farce Jason. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, that's yeah. this. Like satire, Black Adder, it's satire. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. have such a rich understanding in this country yeah. of the different layers of totally. comedy. And that's why slapstick American humor usually goes completely foul on you because you're like, this is a bit blunt. <clears throat> well, there was, uh, there's a fantastic, I wish I'd have sent it, I wish I'd have thought about this and sent it to you before we started doing this, but there, there's a video essay on the comedy of Edgar Wright. Mm. And 
the comparison is often to American comedies, particularly like Will Ferrell, Will, Will Ferrell, Ferrell, yeah, yeah, okay, comedies. And in the video essay, he talks about how a camera will be framed with Will Ferrell in it, and it's like, okay, Will, you know, go do it, do the line, and then do whatever you want, right? Whereas Edgar Wright. It's about the composition. It's about the editing. That's it's right. It's, the... it's it's the reason Ed is obsessed with him, and I have to say that it does show kudos. Edgar Wright is known for being able to stream scenes together, like in his head. So you're talking like, and I'm just to give you some context because I had to think about what this meant for a long time. Because as I said, I'm new to all the filmmaking aspects, so it's like, well, how difficult is it to stream? four scenes in your head together and shoot them. I mean, he literally shoots them on the fly that way. So he's like, okay, next setup, I'm ready to go. He edits them in his head. In his head. Yeah. That is like, you're talking about Jay-Z style composition. So Jay-Z, as we know, doesn't write his lyrics. It's what he's known for is he can literally put a masterpiece together in his own mind and not have to put the lyrics down. And he brags about that because it is, that's what makes like him a freestyle. That's what makes him a rapping genius. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't know when he goes in the studio, like he mm. just knows his stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his shtick. Like, yeah. that's his thing. Is That's yeah. why he's the greatest of all time. Because, like, I don't even have to write this down. I know it so well. It's, it's funny because... Um, and so that's what that's what we're talking about with Edgar Wright. Just to mm. tell you, because he is an unsung hero. He is yeah. not the most famous director out there. And he's had a couple... You know, he's famous for being pulled off of Ant-Man because mm. Ant-Man wasn't what Disney wanted. Mm. He's had a couple flops over the years. But you're talking... I mean, as far as a director actually goes, this guy... Is a genius. Like I really think you so. just have to say, you know, the way he can stream shots together that way. That is no mean feat. Yeah. That is not something a normal person, even a normal director, even a good director, could probably do. It's a savant thing. Like he can, he can just. I, I don't know. It, it amazes me. Is what I'm saying. So uh, on the um, the the European region DVD release uh, of Space season one and two. Mm. There's commentary tracks by Quentin Tarantino and by Kevin Smith. Very cool. And they both kind of say it's amazing, like how he can, you know, picture things in his mind. He's so visual. And I'm, I'm you know, we're talking about like two filmmakers who've been around. They're yeah, considered I mean, auteurs. Exactly. You know? I mean, Kevin Smith. It was funny last week we were talking about Mumblecore, and I was like, he's the the Godfather of Mumblecore. <laughs> You'd think Cl- so, right? Clark's, you know, it's not oh, Clark's. No, Clark's. Clark's is yeah. Mumblecore. That's the whole thing. I mean, it's it's a little bit before what what the critics. No, definitely. Mumblecore. No, that's what I meant. But like, yeah, yeah, it's it's right. way before. It's like twenty yeah, years before. But I'm yeah. like, that was it. It was that the whole point of Clark's that people loves is his people sitting around talking. Uh, but Kevin Smith does say something that's funny. So Kevin Smith edits all his own films. Okay. Like, um, but Edgar Wright doesn't like to edit his own films. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I find that very interesting. Very two very different approaches. Even though Kevin Smith is more of a writer, and Edgar Wright is more of a visual storyteller. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, it's just amazing. Hmm. You know what I mean? Okay, so hopefully we've given you enough background, cast, and kind of the, what this is all about. 2004, so it is quite old now, yep. sadly. Ed and I were Jeez. like, oh, man, we feel old. <laughs> but the point being, when this came out, it was a phenomenon. I mean, last bits we'll say about that. It had a budget of $6 million, which yeah. it amazes me that they made that film for $6 Because yeah. back then, I mean, that, that was just... And it made $30 million worldwide. So you're talking a 24 million gross. That definitely puts you in the good books of the production companies, the ones that matter. And that's just box office. That's not exactly DVD that's sales. before DVD sales. Well, that's and that's really how we have to test your metal. Uh, again, I would say that, like having done, and that's just from research. That's not knowing personally, but it seems that you have got to make your bones 
in the theaters first. That's and then... how they judge things. That's how they judge whether you're going to be, you know, you're going to get a chance to direct something That's else. That's right, it's your metrics. Real so soon. what they say, if you make $24 million for your studio, they're certainly going to ask you what you want to do next. If, you know, in other cases, if you do not make that money, and, you know, if this had made $3 million and, and they'd lost three on it, then we probably wouldn't hear very much from Edgar Wright, at least for a little while. Yeah, you, you, you know, I, I don't think you ever, like, uh, stay in the doghouse if you have a flop. Um, but... No, we have. Who's that director that made one flop after another and is just Uwe Ball? That's it. Everyone know. Every director knows his name. He still gets. He still gets to direct stuff. Well, what, what has he made that people liked? Uh, no offense, Silent, Huey. Silent Hill. The the because he does. Like oh, did video. he do that one where they yeah, ripped that? I think the, God, so, that yeah. that scene where you ripped that woman's skin off is is like still to this day one of the most disturbing scenes in my life. I mean, for, why would you do that? For some reason... Didn't he do House of the Dead as well? Yes. Yeah, that was awful, but awfully awesome. <laughs> Dude, it has... It has... What's his face? And it has Ron Howard's brother in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Any film with Ron Howard's brother is so good, is yeah. so awful as to be good. Who also played Mowgli in The Jungle Book. Did he really? Yeah, which I I did not know. Well, but... Um, I mean, things we learn. House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark. Oh, man. Rampage. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, maybe Rampage. That film had a huge budget. That I was. I don't think he did uh, Silent Hill. Sorry. Oh, I'm, so the I'm one, the one decent film <laughs> yeah. on there. But again, Rampage, then, I didn't see though. I played the video game incessantly as a child, but it wasn't. I didn't know how they were going to turn that into an actual. Uh, I was yeah. much like that with House of the Dead as well. And then the movie ended up being nothing like. Listen, like, okay, side tangent here because this is this is <laughs> why the film is so bad. It's good. House of the Dead, go out and run it tomorrow, because you know that game you play where you shot at things in a haunted house? There's there's actually, if I remember correctly, no haunted house whatsoever in the movie. It starts out with a dance club party with a bunch of topless girls on an island that start turning into zombies. <laughs> like, it just, just, I mean, don't even, God, if I watched it nowadays, I, I don't know what would happen with the whole story thing I'm obsessed with. Because there is no coherent story. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people, for some reason... They get to... Well, there you go. Yui Bull, that's our salute you know. to you. So Going back to Edgar latest, Wright. Making you look film. better, Edgar Wright. Yeah, I saying. know, right? Good Lord, that's a lot of films that he's worked on. Yeah, so... Oh, anyway. Um, yeah, Edgar Wright, uh, I think he, by, by being able to make films cheap, um, he also, that's something that Robert Rodriguez always talked about, right? Yeah, like yep, you, another one of my, that's, that's you know, yeah. like the Soska twins, I'm obsessed. Robert Rodriguez can do no wrong when it comes to yeah, making And they're quite make. close as well. Um, Are they? Yeah, because uh, Edgar Wright did um, probably the best fake trailer that was on the front of Grindhouse. Which fake trailer did he do? Grindhouse is one of my favorite sets of films. That might have been the top five, actually. Really? Oh, oh I'd, have, I'd have things, I'd have feelings about that. I'd love Grindhouse. So which trailer, though? Uh, it's the zombie one. Um, I can't remember where the like one. the zombies just get splattered against the wall, like it's it's and he. You I'm not sure. See, I have the cut that puts them two together, and then the trailers are in the middle. Right. Um, but apparently, if you went to see it at the cinema, there were even more trailers that mm, I don't have because I have the because the, you had Machete in front of yeah Machete, which they made yeah which they, ended up they making, made and then she wolves with the shotgun hobo with the shotgun's not in there that's oh, an okay. extra okay so then you have she wolves of the SS that's mm-hmm. the one that Rob Zombie did that that's yeah, probably yeah, my yeah. favorite of the group but then they have Don't 
which was the is that Eli Roth? Yes. Don't. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's very Eli Roth. Yeah. Um, and that's the only ones I remember. That's what I'm saying. There's a Thanksgiving one as well mm. with like turkey. Yeah. Um, and those are the four that are in between the first right. movie and the second movie. Interesting. So maybe maybe it was when they were released separately. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with 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 Robert Rodriguez. But yeah, Robert Rodriguez always says, "Look, if you can make films cheap." You're gonna get work. It's true. It's true, though, and it's the kind of thing. Like since we're talking about Rodriguez, just all the things. I'm not sure if he'll get a film on our top ten. Pick up his book. It's old. It's really old, and people are like, "Why are you still reading that?" I picked mm-hmm. up a used copy about three years ago. But Rebel Without a Crew, yeah. still as far as tropes and things you need to know about how difficult it is to make a film and the things you have to go through. That's just him telling you how he made one, and not once upon a time in Mexico, but El Mariachi. Yeah, and, and, and the creativity that he used to get that. Exactly. Together. So yeah, he's going to go back and tell you about tape splicing and that and things like the things that don't have any relevance today. Yeah. However, the concepts yeah, and there, the philosophy is is the same. You know, like I said, and there are filmmaking. there are plenty of filmmakers that buy that. So the Soska twins, who tend to be two of my favorite filmmakers, they are also big fans of Rodriguez because he speaks the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so. He's clearly uh, the kind of director who has so many tools in his toolbox, you know, and he's able to do things cheap. He's able to do things stylish. He's able to, you know, like create a great story and have action and, you know, all these elements that I think to my mind, make him my favorite director. Yeah, so, there. I mean, in the, the ways you can see that, so Hot Fuzz is the other one to catch on the Cornetto trilogy. I said, The World's End, some people love it. I talked to a guy last week that said it was his favorite film, and I was mm. a bit surprised. Yeah. I saw I saw the premiere, obviously, mm. and out of the three, it was probably the worst of the totally. three. It's not a bad film. No. It wasn't a bad film by any means. It just, it didn't hit all the spots yeah. that, that his other ones do. His other ones just have really good beats yeah. in them. And Hot Fuzz, I think, was also a step down. From really? Yeah, for me, I... Shaun of the Dead is is the best film that he's made. Okay, and that that may seem crazy because he's made some really big budget films, and you know he was talked to. He virtually wrote Ant Man, uh, the first version. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna direct. But uh, what I love about it is that early filmmaker, who's virtually killing himself because you know whenever he talks about Shaun of the Dead, it's like. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Mm. Uh, to to make this thing that he had in his mind, which, like the crew, there were some people among the crew, experienced people, who were like, yeah, I don't think this is going to do anything. No, no. So, I mean, shooting-wise, they had to do nine weeks. It was basically May and June of 2003 they shot all this, which is a tight schedule for everything they had to get in there. Yeah. Was it, it nine or seven? It was nine. Was it nine? Nine weeks, okay. yeah. Nine weeks from, from at least according to Wikipedia. So, mm. you know, if Wikipedia is wrong, then I'm wrong, <laughs> um, which is usually how things go. Um, and it's interesting. The only thing I would say is take that then. The, the thing we were really impressed when we watched Baby Driver, because we did a lot of research. At the, at the tail end of seeing that, we were really impressed. We want to know the backstory. Baby Driver was a, a runaway success for Edgar Wright. Mm. Probably, to be honest, financially his most successful yeah. film. Because he made it on like a... T- and, and you'd have to look up these figures. They may not be exactly correct. But he made it for around $20 million. When we I looked at it, it... I think it was fifty. I think it's fifteen. But that's what we thought. We thought it was like we thought it was fifty. I oh, know. And then the marketing and, budget. And then we looked up, and yeah, it yeah, actually because yeah. the film looks like it's a fifty million, hundred million film. Yeah. Because it's got these car chases and whatnot. 
And what amazed us is when we looked at the budget, it was cheap. It was like twenty yeah. million. So somehow he had cost cut. Yeah. You know, and this as the producer, like, oh mate, you can do that for me. Yeah. yeah. I have that's an easier time selling you to people yeah. because that's the point. Like the less you put in your film, so here's the top tip. Yeah. The less you charge in your film, the less your budget goes, the more you gain when you gross. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, theatrical release is what you're aiming for. 30 million, you know? which is what this made worldwide, is not a crazy amount of money. But it's it's the right kind of philosophy. So, okay, so you're an indie filmmaker now, and you're saying to yourself, but how do I want to do this, Jason? This doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to release a film into this th- theater. I'm going to release something straight to DVD. You have to use the same formula. It's the one that if you call me and say, I want to make a film with you, Jay, I'm going to sit you down, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to say... How much are you budgeting and how much do you plan to gross from your sales? Yeah. It's that simple, guys. If you can get that equation right and make it so there's a really stinking good profit. Listen, the guy who did Sharknado, who writes Sharknado, <laughs> yeah. and I think I brought this up before, that's why people love him because he can make those films for like 10 grand or whatever it is. I have no idea. But he can make yeah. it really cheap and they always get bought by Sci-Fi yeah. Network and everything for exorbitant amounts money of money. And then some. And then some. Mm. And that's, if, if you want to be in the industry, it's what you have to understand. Art right. is one thing, but also being able to sustain a business yes. is the other bit. I love Victoria. Ed takes part of the art bit. I'm the money <laughs> side. And that's what I would say to you. Edgar Wright teaches you those lessons through his own films. And I think this is, you know, leads nicely into the question, why is this in, in my top five? Um, is because he just keeps that balance all around story, visuals, the financial element of it. And to me, when I first started even thinking about being a a filmmaker, I watched this film and it, it blew me away. And then again, doing a bit of research, you're like, oh my God, wow, this is, this can be done, Mm. you know? Um, so yeah, that's that's I think why it's in my top five. Okay, that's great. That's great. So, should we? What comes after that? Are we moving on so, to the uh, grading. Grading, yes, because I just want to do that. We do it on all our shows, but I think with the top top five each, we should be doing it as well. Yeah, because they're not going to get straight A's on everything, no. and that helps us kind of pick apart what we liked and we didn't like about the film. So, starting out methodology. If you don't know, we're using the American grade school system: A's through F, A plus for something great. No such thing as an F minus, and there is no E. So again, if you don't understand, look it up. It's not too difficult. Yeah. So, starting with the visuals. Visuals, Ed. yes, A. Okay, but why? Because um, again, this is a man who uh, Edgar Wright has seen a lot of movies, and he's a fan of film, mm-hmm. and you can see him putting visual tricks and gimmicks into the film which other filmmakers do it and it seems cheesy he does it and it moves the story forward mm-hmm. the follow shots the single long takes for example mm-hmm. that you talked about um, the way that he edits for comedy mm-hmm. you know um, where there's a moment where he gets like he's on frame mm-hmm. he's talking to his girlfriend who's telling him look this is not you know what's going on and a pack of crisps just hits him in the face, you know. That is beautiful comedic editing, mm. right? And I think that um, it also did some very interesting things with its effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a moment where they kind of first meet the zombie, 
and they push her over and she gets impaled. Yep, yep. And she gets up and you can see their faces, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. That's right, off in the distance there. Through the hole that's been made. Okay. And again, it's just perfect visual storytelling. Okay. So yeah, A for me. Okay. You? You watched it last night, yeah? It's tough. Like, I'm going to give it the, the average Joe kind of grade because that's, yeah. and, and that's just to put it against your, because Ed has just given you technically <coughs> why me. visually it probably is an A. For me, it's a B. Fair enough. Just because it, the visuals don't blow me away. Yeah. Like, it's not like, you know, big screen, anything. We're not talking like Avengers or 1917. No. It doesn't wow me the no. way that. Like a Blade Runner 2049 does. Or mm. Roger Deakins, as we have become. Yes. Roger, we're going to have you on the show. Yeah. Man, oh. we cannot stop talking about you now. Because we just, just too many good films now. So we're like, oh. Mm. So that's what I mean. Not Roger Deakins for me. And so for that, like, I can't put it at the same level as that. I but, want to, mm. but I can't. Because I don't see it the same way you do. I don't see all the right. different techniques. I certainly see it on other elements, but mm. not, not with the At the same visuals. time, though, as a, horror, as a horror person, I want to ask you about this. Okay. Um, so at the time, there was another really massive zombie film, which was Twenty Eight Days Later. Okay, Danny Boyle. Okay, who had people talked about it as if it had kind of reignited the genre. Okay, it kind yeah no I mean we could do an entire podcast on that totally, but the question is, they chose to stick to the classic sham, excuse me, shambling zombie. The slow zombie, as opposed to the trend that 28 Days Later had started, which was the sprinting zombie, you know? And uh, yeah, because it's the rage zombie. Yeah, I really appreciated that because one of the things that I find very scary about zombies is that, yeah, they're slow, you can outrun them, but eventually they're going to catch up with you, you know? And visually, it was scary enough you know when the when the hordes of zombies are like yeah so I've, I've like put because I put at the end of this because we are we're not kind of, kind of it's amazing to me how old I am now that we're kind of no longer in the zombie era that was nearly 15 years in my life you yeah. know what I mean like and it, it got to very, it. very popular said, the only thing I have a couple questions yeah. that you may not be able to answer so Dawn of the Dead the remake did that come yeah. out before or after 28 after. Days Later it was 2007 so that, that's that's yeah Zack Schneider is 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 then inspired by... Because 28 Days Later was like this, and I have to be very honest about this film, because I could lie to you and say it was epic, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. The first time I I, I saw that film, I remember, you know, I remember who I went with to that film. I I probably shouldn't say it on here. Um, I remember going to it and then turning the person I went with and being like, that was the shittest zombie film I've ever seen in my life. There weren't even any freaking zombies in it. Like, I was your typical American, like, I wanted zombies, I didn't get my zombies. This is crap, it's not Romero. Right. So that was my first reaction. And believe it or not, in typical fashion, I went back and watched it again. And then mm. the second time I watched it, I was like, I think I get it now. And I was like, okay. And so visuals for that film would easily get an A. Because, because he he does much more with the visuals <coughs> in that one. The desolation yeah. of going down the M1. Yeah. And God knows this, this hits me even harder now that I live in England. Right. And you I can see, see these the places, is. right? Yeah. Like, And all of this is later parroted by so many good zombie films, you know? So, what I would say about Shaun of the Dead, as far as the zombie genre, yeah. it's horror light. And that's probably why it gets the B in visuals for me. Okay. Okay, he's yeah. putting zombies in it to kind of say it's a zombie film. 
but it's not. Yeah. And I guess it is a zombie film. I can't say it's not a zombie film. No, but, but a not... hardcore hom- zombie fan might be like, oh, this is too light. You know. No, it's just, and I can't say that he's not doing anything. He's not doing anything with the zombie part of it. He's doing no. He's something, being very respectful of George. He's Romero. doing something with the comedy elements of yeah. it, which which is doing something with the zombie film. Yeah. But I think you get what I mean. Like, yeah. it doesn't change that kind of the, the grounding of that myth yeah. of the zombie myth. It actually just plays into the nostalgia that we have for the old ones. The dawn, you know, dawn of the dead is the easiest one that comes to mind, and the yeah. old zombie myths. You know, in film at least. Because again, you have to understand mythology carries through film now. That's how we get our myths. Yeah. The old mythology started with Romero and Fulci is the other one you need to watch yeah. if you want to know the classics. Which is the name of the restaurant. Yes, yes. And there's lots of references. So like many that. references. So he's very good about he that. He clearly he's... loves the zombie genre. The it, original zombie movies. And, and to be fair, and, and, and not being contrarian, but mm. uh, Edgar Wright, I'm not sure if he loves these things, but he knows how to say thank you in a film to them. Yes, Right. I, I would, you know, he, I would say that he pays homage to the people who should be paid homage. And I'm only saying that because I'm thinking of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is just a video game homage film. Yeah. And it's like, because as I said, we'll probably spend a whole podcast on that one. <laughs> but the whole thing is like, he knows how to do that and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. You, you helped me see the things I see in my life yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So going back to the visuals, like yeah. that's the thing. The visuals are not critical for the film he made. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm happy to give it a B because it's like, and I know what you're saying, and, and this is why, as I said, we're a team, mm-hmm. because I need Ed to be able to, un- to show me how these things work behind a camera and, and to you know show me why that's such a, a novel thing. But as far as average Joe sitting there seeing it, like it looked it looked like something I could watch on TV. Fair. So, which was fine. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't bad. I yeah, wouldn't, yeah. It's not a D or an and F. It's a low, bu- it's a low budget it's film. It's a low budget, looked yeah. like a low budget film to me, yeah. and it get a B because it is very well shot. Yeah. Like it doesn't, yeah. there's no scenes I was like, oh, why did you shoot it that way? Or there's nothing that drags in it. Okay. Um, nothing I could cite and say, oh, that's bad. Cool. So, so yeah, solid B. All right. Story. Story. I mean, that's, that's easily going to get an A from me. Nice. Because he's a very good storyteller. Yes. So, and it's the, again, it's the, the things that I talk about. Again, formulas are everywhere, folks. And, 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 you know, I've seen him put together his movies, so I know he follows a formula because mm. I've watched him do it. Um, not personally, but you know, on his YouTube stuff. And this one, like, he's got it right. He has a very big B story that he sits and lets... It's, you know, a B story, again, is meant to be like rocket fuel. When you start getting bored, it's supposed to propel you forward Mm -hmm. and keep you interested in the film. That is precisely what the zombies do in this film. So the story of Simon Pegg's character, Sean, figuring out his life... I mean, we have that movie. We have a billion of those movies. They're not bad, but they're not particularly interesting. If you want to see Simon Pegg do it again, watch Run, Fat Boy, Run. That's yep. that's his next next Absolutely. version of that. And there's a hundred more about the boring English Edgar, life. Edgar didn't direct that one. No, no. But that's what I'm saying. Like, what makes the story better in this one? Well, if you watched Run, Fat Boy, Run, there's elements that get slow with it because you're going to follow the usual tropes of you know, all we're going to get to the midpoint and then it's going to yeah. go all is lost and then yeah. we're going to act three yeah. and it's going to do this and it's going to do that and it's so formulaic. What this does with the zombies is take you out of the formula. Yes. So in your brain, the minute you start thinking, oh, this is just a formula. He's just lost his girlfriend. He's going to go do it. He's going to get drunk and then he's going to go save the day. Mm. Then there's a zombie apocalypse and yeah. you're like, wait, what? Just How? those little tweaks. Exactly. How are we going to do that? And then the story has to change to adapt. And so the B story is actually rocket fueled you to kind of take you to new heights so 
this is what I'm saying. So you had the catharsis, right, the night before, because I still say it's the night before. He mm-hmm. gets drunk and realizes he really is kind of losing it, and mm-hmm. he's not going to be, he's tired of being who he is. He wants to be someone else. So he wakes up in the morning, wants to do something different. Mm-hmm. Now, the whole point is that he would have done only about X, because all of us have woken up with that feeling right. and written that thing on the board and said, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to be a better person tomorrow. Right, right, right. And you get up and, you know, you, goes on. exactly. you achieve yeah. maybe a quarter of those things in the day and then you go to your job and you're like, uh, and life moves on. Except for, for Sean, yeah. a zombie apocalypse happens. Yeah. And so he is given, at that precise moment in time, mm. he is given the moment to really resort his life. Right, and right. so he does. And that's why the opening bits where he's talking about the plan that's why you're really starting to see because that's his catharsis. Mm-hmm. He's starting to realize that he is capable of doing things. Yeah. And along with that, and this is the other thing, all of this plays in well. So zombie films do certain other things mm-hmm. that you can't get away with in other films. Mm-hmm. In this film, and most people don't really realize this because it's a comedy. It's a typical English comedy because English comedies can get really fucking depressing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being honest. He loses both of his parents. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. And the second one is really emotional, but they're yeah. both actually emotional. And that represents something. Yes. Like, this isn't me trying to be like yes. Kumbaya Jason. This is me saying no. pinnacles of story writing. Absolutely. Like, he is becoming his own. Yeah. You know, he is moving into his own yeah. life. It's, it's an arc. It's, it's, a, a, it's a huge arc. It's yeah. a big arc. It's one of the most fundamental arcs in life about, you know, having to lose your parents so that you become... Now the dominant person. Absolutely. It's just part of life, but it's 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 just interesting. So what I was talking about with a zombie film, in a zombie film, you can make the beats for that so much infinitely shorter, and that's mm. why it works in a comedy. Right. If it wasn't a zombie film, when his mom goes, yeah. that would have just been it. That's the end. Right. You're like done. Yeah. When his stepdad goes, even though you didn't think he liked his stepdad in that brief moment yeah. looking at you, Ed. Oh. You know, he's actually quite upset yeah. because he realizes, oh my God, I really did like it, this guy. It hits me on so many levels. Do you know what like, I mean? So, and that's the whole thing. Like, that's, if it wasn't a zombie film, it wouldn't work because you would have his dad, and sorry, we're spoiling so much of this for you. <laughs> or, or it would be just another film, like you said, that we've seen a million no, times. No, it wouldn't because you couldn't do a comedy off that. You couldn't do a comedy off your stepdad dying in a car, like, and making it meaningful to you. The British show. So the way he's, no, but the way he's written the story makes it so you can have the catharsis. He can become the better person, but we can also have a laugh about it because... You know, as I said, the British do it best because yeah. the joke is, well, everybody's a zombie, so whatever, you know? Did you uh, pick up, it's one of my favorite things, but I know how much you like foreshadowing. Mm. Did you pick up the foreshadowing that happened? Absolutely. I mean, tell me which one it was. So the, the one where um, Ed, again, Nick Frost. Best friend big guy, Ed, plays video games with it. I his know. His name is Ed. I didn't want to say anything. I loved the fact that he's an asshole. Like, for me, that was actually really important. Which is funny, because my best friend, Ed, is the complete opposite. I'm the asshole. I'm the one that would be like, can we but, get Jason but, you know, like, g- g- you know, getting that kind of like, oh, you know, you're so nice. And then you're like, oh, no, Ed's can be assholes. I liked it. But they're in the pub. He's broken up with Liz. And Nick says, do you know what we should do tomorrow? Keep drinking. Bloody Mary, first thing in the morning, which is where they meet Mary. I didn't catch any of this, no. He says, a bite at the king's head, which is when they go to his parents' house. 
Okay. A couple at the Little Princess. So these are all like pub names, right? And drinks. Couple at the Little Princess, which is when he goes to rescue his girl and her two, her two housemates. And stagger back here and bang. Back at the bar for shots. So he actually lays down the whole film we, in like really 10 seconds. We're very sorry that we should have said spoilers because that's, that's entirely that's the entire <laughs> film. Thanks, Ed. Look, if you haven't seen this film in you know that was made in 2004, I have very little respect for you. Yeah, that's a cop out, Ed. <laughs> it's just trying to be like, oh, I did just say the whole film, didn't I? But it's brilliant. You can, no, cut, it's, you can cut it out if you want. I'm not going to cut it out. No, it's good. It's good. And, and it's the kind of thing we're talking about. So I assume grade, grade for the story for a, you then? A plus for me. A plus. Yeah. Yeah. So the foreshadowing is another thing that Edgar Wright is particularly good at. So if you're wanting to learn how to do that in comedy or in film in general, Edgar Wright, you could watch any of his films. Yeah. He it's foreshadows so completely. Yeah. It's just how he sees it. So he sees the scene first and then he'll go right back over. It's also another way to save money. So one thing that people aren't picking up on this about him is that's a huge way to save money. If you're doing the same setup with the same shots, literally just removing two pieces from the puzzle, yeah, that's your, your crew will be really good at doing that. So And it's also a subliminal thing where as human beings, we like for things to work out how we, how we think yes. they're going to. Yes. But not if it's like shoved down your throat. Yes. And so the fact that it's laid out for you throughout the film, what's going to be coming next, means that you enjoy it even more. Signposting. Yeah, so that's that's foreshadowing. <coughs> in, in, it happens in theater as well and it happens in novels, but foreshadowing is signposting for you. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, my it's goodness. All right, I'm getting it's all so right. excited. He is. He is. He just wants to give it all A pluses. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay, acting. Acting. Ooh. Um, I'm, you first. Kyle. I'm gonna say A. Um, really? Yeah. And the reason <laughs> the reason is uh, Nick Frost. Nick Frost um, was the way that he started acting was he worked with Simon Pegg at a Portuguese chicken restaurant. Okay. As a waiter, and Simon Pegg thought this guy is hilarious, and Simon Pegg was doing stand up and he was in the comedy comedy world while still having a day job you know and um like he steals virtually every scene he's in he does because let me can i can i tell because it should be pretty funny for the podcast so i thought nick frost was edgar wright <laughs> the longest time until you sent me that youtube video of like here's them writing the story and i was like who's this skinny guy mm. and you're like that's edgar wright and i'm like who's the other guy then and I was like, oh, he doesn't write at all. He doesn't, he's just no. friends with Simon yeah. Pegg. So, so that's, how it, that's how he got the job on Space, where he played Mike, this uh, territorial army, like, nut, who's hilarious. Uh, and, you know, in here he plays Ed. Great. I think it is a little bit rose-tinted glasses, because I think everyone who's in it plays their role so brilliantly. Dylan Moran who's famous for being the, like, acerbic, dark comedian, plays the, you know, the annoying preppy friend. Fantastic. Well, this might have something to do with it. So if you research all of this, this is all comedy true people. So if you were doing this for, like, an Adam Sandler film from back in the day, I'd be like, yeah, I know all these guys. Yeah. Because... I grew up with that comedy troupe, and yeah. it's you know it's like SNL. These are all the different things in America we use to group comedy. Comedy, comedy people have troops. They yeah, work yeah. in groups together. I think it just makes it easier for writing and and for for doing what they need to do. 
I don't know any of these. So the, all the stuff that was referenced, like Black Book, and yeah. you know, this was a shoot off of this. It was like I never was around to watch any of these shows, right. and, and that's so I don't have that appreciation. Miss. I'll catch yeah. them on Dave. Dave yeah. is the ultimate way to catch up with you know comedy and <laughs> comedy in England. So I mean, for me, again, the acting would probably be a solid B. Okay. You know, there's nothing. Fair. It's nothing amazing, but it's not bad, and it's not really average either. If it was average, it wouldn't be a really good film. Right. So. The things it's a quintessentially English film, so that always mm-hmm. elevates it past a C mm-hmm. because the way people are able to be English amidst the zombie apocalypse, I mean, that's what gives this film its chops. Yeah. That's why the first time I saw this film, obviously, I was in college in America, um, and someone came to me and he was like, You've got to see this English film. And mm-hmm. it was like, What is it? And he's like, It's called Shaun of the Dead. You're the horror dude. And yeah. I was like, I am the horror guy. Is this a horror film? He's like, kind of. Right. And he's like, it's really English. You're going to have to watch this. And it was. We finished it like, man, it's the most English thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I all, mean, all Cornettos, we... cricket bats. Yeah, no, but all we mean with that is, is if, culturally, there's a dryness to English people to Americans. Like, we yeah. are louder. We are definitely more uh, openly emotional mm. about things. Not to say that English people aren't emotional, but we don't hide yeah. it the way that English people do. Yeah. And so what's really amazing for an American watching Shaun of the Dead is you're going through this thing and there's all these horrible things happen and it just all is kind of a big gag to everybody. It's like a big joke. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the the best is, is, is his mom. Yeah. You know, because she's just like, do you want a sandwich? Yeah, she's such Calls a him typical pickle. English mom. And yeah, yeah, no, having been here now, like, yeah, English moms are still like this. This is why people live with their parents around here to like, God knows when, because why would you move out? Your mom's your mom. She's always like... But, okay, so Simon Pegg, I've, I've always appreciated him as as a comedian, but I've always thought that he had chops, that he could He react. does, no. Individu- and in this film, there's a couple of... A heavy emotional moment. Yes. So when his when his mother dies, I mean, he really plays that amazingly, oh. um, and he plays lots of things amazingly in this. So yeah, no, Simon's performance is is top notch. Um, you know, Nick Frost, same way. I would say some of the lesser characters. That's I guess why I'm getting the lesser characters are more cameos, and they don't really totally. You know, Yvonne, who is who is the writer, like, Jessica Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, she. You know, she's great, but she's only there for ten seconds. Exactly. And then and, the two, the two friends, them, yeah. Dylan. Dylan says more than than the one Lucy Diane. Reed from from. Yeah. Um, but she plays the the actress, right? And right. She's like, okay, shake it off. Yeah, it and off. so for me, like that's a very typical role of that era. Right. Like there were there were you know that, that's up there with all the other English films that were coming out where they always had that character, the yeah, kind of yeah. the the blonde ditz, as it yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's fine. Like I think everybody plays them well. Best performances for me, Simon Pegg would be one, but the other one goes to, um, oh, I love this guy. I've loved him since Love Actually, Bill Nye. Bill Nye, yeah. He's just... He's brilliant. He's not... Is, is he still... Yeah, he's still around. Okay, I, I, I couldn't remember. There would be, like, weeks of mourning. Yeah, if, but there's if, been so many that have passed. No, I, I, in my head, I was like, I thought I thought no, I'd no, already he's, died. He's like, still around, and he is... Sorry, Bill, mean, Bill, so, Bill, I'll totally buy you a drink, man. Like, sorry about that. He's so Bill Nye in this as well. Yeah, no, I mean... The first time you meet him, he does this he like he's got his, his back to his you. voice, and, he, just, and he he turns. That's right, and he talks really slowly, as if you're annoying him <sighs> merely with your presence. And <laughs> he's fantastic. No, he is. He's great. So yeah, Penelope so, Wilton, who plays his mum. Yeah, she's fantastic. Great performances as well. from there. So I mean, yeah, all all in all, very good. You know, the the, the bit roles. I love like one of my favorite bit roles in any film uh-huh. is that awful ass kid 
from the store who's just such a, he's an ass like, oh yes I mean, he's no. a guy on the phone he's, he's doing this by Rafe you, Spall you got red on your mate like he just plays it so well and I'm like and Rafe Spall went on to become such an incredible actor really what yeah. else has he been in um, he was in um, the uh, god what's the film with the tiger and the little boy uh, it's based on the book A Life of Pi Never saw it. He he's amazing in it. He he's he's done a bunch of like heartthrobby kind of uh, roles. Okay. Particularly like uh, in the style of Little Women and Emma and stuff like that. So like like Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, basically. that kind of stuff. Victorian. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And his father is um, Timothy Spall. Who have you seen? You've seen Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I've seen all the Harry Potter. Okay, yeah. you know Ratty. Ratty guy, yes, who you recognize in a bunch of other English films, yes, yes. Um, he, he he's his father, okay, Peter Peter Pettigrew, that's yeah, exactly. Um, and he also played Turner and he got nominated for an Oscar, I think. Like, yeah. just just you're seeing a lot of talent, even a lot of zombies. Who Joe Cornish, who directed Attack the Block, Russell Howard. Russell Howard's in there. Um, I'm sorry, Russell Howard being one of my favorite comedians. Yeah, there. he's very funny. I just, I just find the guy hilarious. <coughs> You've also got um, one of the guys from Michael Smiley from Kill List. Okay. Um, like just an incredible cast. Tim Timothy Tim Freeman from you know The Hobbit well, and no, you mean Martin Freeman? Martin Freeman. Yeah, Martin yeah. Freeman plays the boyfriend. Yes. But I guess that's my point with the acting, like. It was clear an homage, and people watching it would think cool if yeah. you knew who these people right. were. But for an it American who anything. had no background, mm. especially at that point, because some of these people later become famous on right. both sides of the continent. Exactly. But yeah, for like an American watching this yeah. and, and whatnot, it was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. And so that's it's like a big inside joke. Yeah, and so that's the only reason I would say it's a B versus an A. For sure. Good acting, but the bit parts are, are, are you know, a reference yeah. more than more yeah. than an acting. Bit. I, like for me, it's an A because you know my, um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, Bill Nye, Penelope Wilton, like those, they put in like good performances that are almost like you wouldn't expect in mm-hmm. this kind of film, mm-hmm. but they raise the quality. You know? Okay, cool. Um, music. Music makes the people. It's Edgar Wright, so he has to get an A. Because yeah. he's... Again, the whole reason this is in here, it's I always have an agenda. The, my agenda with this is to get it through every indie filmmaker's head, including <laughs> including my director, Ed, but everyone else as well, that music is integral to a film. And Edgar Wright obviously knows that. He's on a level with Tarantino when it comes to... Y'all, and I, that's just my preference. I, you know, Hopefully, if I ever get to do features someday, they will have loads of good music yeah. because it adds to the experience. He was also, um, kind, he'd done a lot of music videos. So he did a music video for Ash. Okay. Which is why they're in there. He didn't do Jack Names the Planet, did he? That's the best Ash song ever. I, I don't know. Jack Names the Planet. I don't really like Ash. <gasps> What's Sorry. wrong with you? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Did no one give you pop punk love back in the day? Definitely not. Okay, so I used to sleep in vans of pop punk bands and help them as a roadie. So... Yeah, if you want to know one of my guilty pleasures these days, or what's like on my playlist, there will always be elements. The best thing about pop punk these days is these guys have now gone on to 
Like, so I used to listen to like a Blink-182 or something like that, or, or sometimes just punk-punk, so I know effects or something a bit, you know, it's still pop-punk, but it's, it's, it's a bit harder than that. Nowadays, I listen to Rise Against, which is basically the 40-year-old version. He just ra- he, he raps. He, he sings about like how he's old and married and like how <laughs> life is different now, but still with pop-punk beats. Right. So, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's the music is amazing. The, again, the homage. It to, was the homage that will give it the A for me. So yeah. because if you're gonna make a horror movie about zombies, you gotta understand where it came from. Lucio Fulci and George Romero are, are two of the greatest filmmakers of you know of all time in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just you have to go back. And he so he put you know Dawn of the Dead's in there. That's one of the most classic songs. But there's a lot of other bits too that he just gets. There's so many layers. You can watch this film the, like and twenty the, times. The scene everyone remembers, and again, spoilers, but the scene everyone remembers, and, and God knows, anytime I hear this song, it is the scene that comes to mind is mm. the Supersonic Man yeah. by um, by Queen. Don't and they, stop me now. Yeah. They, yeah, don't sorry, don't stop me now. They they beat the crap out of one of the zombies to that <laughs> to that song, yeah. and I, it just yeah. Anytime I hear that song, it's the scene I think of. Who chose this? It's on random. That's right. Because there's a bunch of others that come on, right? There's the... Is it Chicago? If you leave me. Yeah. Now, you take, and Simon Pegg's like, it's on random. And it, the other thing that I would say is, is Edgar Wright knows timing of songs. So I'm not saying yeah. make a film and then soundtrack it with 13 songs because you should always pick 13 songs. That's a trick. 13 songs and just play them out. Right. Like, don't do that. Like, no. Tarantino, Wright, they understand that you can raise the level of a scene with the right song. Mm. And if you want to see the epitome of that taken to its, you know, to the nth degree, Baby Driver. Only because it's a film people said couldn't be made. And I would have said that. When you yeah. told me the concept, I said, mm, not going to happen. Mm. And you were like, no, I said, it's just a glorified music video. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it sounded like. Yeah. You're going to stream one song to another, and you're just going to do like, this is why you can't do that. It's exactly what I'm saying. Mm. You know, you can't do. And he managed to he pull it off it, in a yeah. film. I mean, that's that's when you're like, okay, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. I mean, I'm such a fan of that film. Let me tell you a true story. I love giving stupid stories on these podcasts. So my, my lovely wife, Becky, you're awesome. You're amazing. She's had a really good week. So, you know what I mean? Like, I love my wife and she tries to get me the best gifts. But this time, like, Baby Driver soundtrack was on the Amazon Prime wish list for, like, Christmas and my birthday. I think it was my birthday. And I actually, for four birthdays, I got Scott Pilgrim for one of my birthdays. I've got a ton of CD. I got Scott Pilgrim CD for my for like Christmas. Like mm. a ton of Edgar Wright stuff in my in my stash. Without you even realizing. Yeah, without yeah, even yeah. realizing it, yeah. right? Uh, because the, the soundtrack for Scott Pilgrim is amazing as well. Yeah. And um, she bought me <laughs> the Baby Driver soundtrack, and I'm never a person that like I don't like looking disappointed with gifts, and it is what I wanted. But the problem is the actual Baby Driver soundtrack, the full one is like two disc version, oh, has right. every single song that they play right, in the movie. Right, right, and that's right. what I wanted because I wanted to be able to like be like, I remember that scene. Because yeah, that yeah. that's how my head works. That's why, mm. again, if you have a music video, call me. I'm good at them. Um, just go on the website. So, got the soundtrack. It only had the, like, the, the it's only like 12 tracks. Right. And I was like, oh, thank you. This is awesome. And I didn't tell her right off the bat. We were playing it in the car. Mm. And it played and she's like, oh, is it over already? I thought you said there were a lot of songs in this movie. And I'm like, mm. there are. You didn't buy the movie that has all the songs. <laughs> and she was so mortified. She felt so bad because she could see my face that like, I am so disappointed in you. <laughs> and it's hard because, you know, my wife works really hard and I am a difficult man. You know, that's part of the reason I love my wife so much is despite the fact that I'm a bit of an asshole. 
my wife has always put up with me. And so, like, that's what I mean. Like, it's quintessential to watch Edgar Wright if you want to understand what I'm saying about music. music A, is, all the way. Because yeah. the timing, it's the one position, of his strengths. It's a huge one of his strengths. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I would say that Edgar Wright gets well is uh, uh, along with that. You know, when Dawn of the Dead was playing for you and Shaun of the Dead, you wouldn't normally know where that came from. You're going to have to look it up probably. In 2004, I would say zombie fans may have known. Yeah. Most people would be like, sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, wouldn't yeah. know. Quentin Tarantino doesn't pick songs you know. He picks stuff yeah. he knows yeah. that he knows is good that you don't. That is the way you have to do it. Mm. Again, it's like the named actor versus the no-name actor. Yeah, the, yeah. the effect is so much better when it's a no-named actor yeah. because then the then you're not you don't have an expectation of what you're going to do. Exactly. Yeah. So an A for music for me. Okay. How about overall? Of, oh, for me, music. Um, yeah, A. Oh, what, you, what a I shocker! Shocker! You, you were on tender hooks there, weren't you? Shocker! Um, yeah, it's an A because it's awesome. It's one of his top five. Even films, so. even if if you gave this like a C, I'd be like, why is this one of your top five films? Then yeah. you know, clearly you could have found even something. even though I don't like Ash. Like that moment <laughs> when they when when Ed gets into the car. Ash, I'm so sorry. And he puts the he puts the cassette. I think in. you might be the first person I've met that doesn't. How could you Ash. not like Ash? They're the nicest band. Jack I just I just wasn't. I, you you know. didn't like. Was it a? Is it? It's not Jackie Chan, is it? Yeah, it is or Bruce Lee? Their other song that everybody knew. No, I just them Muse. Oh, don't I get have... started if you're going to throw Muse in there, too. That's one of my favorite bands. I just, I don't know. Operatic, why. progressive, you for, know. Yeah, for sure. This is how it was when we were shooting music videos. This is why you need to call me and just say, can Ed shoot the film? Jason, I want to talk to you, because Ed just, you don't, what's, what, what, what is... I like good music. Like what? Cool. Like, what are we talking about? Let's get on a tangent here. I want to, I want to tell, I want to, I want to, I want to riddle this Biggie a bit. Smalls, Tupac Shakur... Okay. Hip hop from okay. the nineties, early two thousands. Like, cool quest. No drill rap now. Nah. No, no Drake. Mm, oh God, no. That's so painful. You sound like such an old man. I know, I know, I do. But I, I am, man. This film came out in two thousand four, and it feels like it was out. Hey, man. A year ago. I'm not old until that thirty and that seven switch themselves, and then I will officially call myself old. But yeah, for me, a good uh, for music. It, I think it's. Uh, again, one of his strengths. Excellent. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What else do we have? Is there an overall? Uh, there's an overall now. Overall, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I, I think both of us will give it an A. I, I couldn't give it really anything else beyond our top five. Mm. Overall, it's definitely an A. This is, and again, it's one, I like how Ed set out for you in the beginning that you need to watch this from a filmmaker standpoint. Again, yes, that's another reason it gets an A. Because if you're an indie filmmaker, dissect this film. Get the commentary. Get the script, mm-hmm. sit down, because he made this for six million. That means you could make a film like this for six million. Yeah. That's not the. Un- and he has the, the the DVD has commentary track with the writer. No, this is what I mean with the director and but, the producer, with just the actors. You know, like a little bit less. You know, get yourself a million, and then you know, well, again, I'm saying like as if it's that easy. But this is what I'm saying, like. Making low-budget stuff is all about watching how someone did it before. And I guess if you can't get a million, you get half a million. Or if you're like us, you get like 10 bucks. You just have to make it work. Yeah. You know? And you can. You yeah. just... That's that's the best thing about Edgar is his belief. Yeah. You know? You can clearly see that in his he shots. He always gives you more than you truly kind of deserve. He's... I, I, I get the feeling that he's not a guy that, you know, as a director... 
I get a feeling he's the kind of guy that doesn't go over on coverage. It's one of the rookie mistakes with filmmaking that someone goes, I need another shot here and I need yeah. a shot here. He's got he's very clear on his vision. Because that kind of stuff from a producer's standpoint, that's where your budget goes out of whack. Yeah. And that's if you want to hear all the tales that I've heard, plus my own personal experiences of mm. films going over time and budget, that's what the happens. The trouble is that people don't talk about the times when you didn't get the coverage. And then you've got to do reshoots. See, even Ed, even director Ed is sitting here looking at me like, don't say this because I'm going to need more coverage. <laughs> I'm going to need more coverage. It's it's all about the conviction, you know, knowing yeah, it's yeah. there. Confidence. But as Ed's pointing out, it's not blind confidence. You can't yeah. just say, okay, I've made my shot and I've yeah, got it. Like, I've got no. the scene. The Look, difference with Edgar Wright is he can. knows he got the scene. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be that confident with yeah. it. So, yeah. cool. All right. Um, do you have a favorite scene? Or, or a scene that you... Yeah, really I always like doing this like. because uh, favorite and worst scene, it just picks out two good points in the film. I would say my favorite scene, if I'm being honest, it's the death of his mother. Yeah. Because it's so emotional and it is the end of a huge arc and you understand that actually more is happening here than... You know, it's, it is the typical English way. English kind of downplay everything. So mm. you've been downplaying this from the get-go. That it's no big deal. It's a zombie apocalypse. We're all running around. We're ha, ha, ha. We're all laughing because we're having a good time. No, like this is this is dude with a problem story. Mm -hmm. Dude's problem is he can't get his life together. Guess what? His mom just died as he got his life together. Mm. Man, that's tragic. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's this tragic bit put it in the comedy, but you can deal with it because the mom is probably going to be a zombie anyway. Like not everybody's mm -hmm. going to survive a zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. He still has, you know, at the end there's only a few that survive, but he moves on. Yeah, uh, for me, and that's um, in, in, in the emotional impact of that scene. Sorry, yeah, yeah. just to just no, to no, explain. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, for me, the the two scenes that I would put in here because it's you know top five. It's my top five. Scenes. It's your top five. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give I'm, you two. I'm cheating. Are both equally the best and the worst scenes. Okay, and that's the death of his stepfather uh -huh. and the death of his mother. Okay, because um, it's heart wrenching, like genuinely heart wrenching. When I'd still to this day I've seen this film like 20 times or more and to this day like I get teary yeah 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 I, when I thought that when I was watching it and I think it resounds with your life sometimes more than mine and that's why when I was watching this I'm like god Ed must get really tear jerky at this <laughs> not just the death scenes but like there's elements in this film not that Ed's a slacker or anything like that but like that just mimic yeah, things you told me about to get your, your life. life together. Yeah, and... things, discussions we've had and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I could see, and I could totally see why it resonates with me. Yeah. And that's that's what film needs to do. And that's that's the really awesome thing about certain films. Like that's mm. why you have a top five. Mm. Understand that I, I know as a filmmaker, I'm not going to have everybody understand every single thing I put on the screen. Mm. What I would love is to have a good amount of people that understand what I'm saying. But those three or four people, maybe half a dozen, that watch and they say. Yeah, man. Yeah, that, yeah like that I, connects. I got that. Like yeah. I totally see you. That's when you feel. You know, I was just talking about this today with somebody talking about Shredders. Like Shredders has all these comedy blips that I was like, I'm not sure if they'll connect with people. And I didn't write Shredders, so you still want them to connect. And you sit in the back while it's playing, and people laugh, and it just gives you this joy because you're like, people get why we thought yeah, this yeah, funny. Yeah. People get why we thought this was a great scene to shoot. You know, yeah. and they're enjoying the experience together. And that's really the magic of filmmaking, right yeah, there. Definitely. Um, so yeah, for me, they're, they're, they're brilliant dramatic scenes, but they're so heart wrenching that it's, it's hard to watch, you know, when his stepfather's like, I only wanted to, to try and be there for you. I, I thought that you were a young kid who needed a father, you know? And, uh, again, 
like yeah we won't get into it but man like him just saying this to you like and as we've been friends a long time so mm-hmm. i know ed very well but yeah i mean they're, they're, he could have been saying that kind of stuff to you yeah exactly so Whew. uh yeah it's getting dusty it's Whew. getting dusty oh my god what are you guys talking about <laughs> I have stupid allergies <laughs> <laughs> all right so um worst specific, uh worst no, no for me not. they're both both of those are the best scene and the worst scene. Ah, because we went back to what we did last time when you couldn't find a worst scene. No, yeah. I have an actual worst scene. Okay, go on then, worst scene. It's my only gripe with this film. Okay. My only real gripe with this film. The ending. It sucks. What oh, what? Deus Ex oh, wait. Like, yeah, because it, because it's what they did in every zombie film when they couldn't figure out what they really wanted to do. I know what we'll do. The army's going to show up and save everybody. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, because I am a horror aficionado, and it, you know I, I lived through the zombie era, which we're going to talk about in a minute, Yes, this was the way they ended so many films, and it's a cop-out. It's no offense, Edgar Wright, because mm-hmm. you may not n- have known what to do, right. but you could have done anything else because every other film with a zombie in it does this. I, yes, okay. And the problem is it doesn't actually put a catharsis to the end of the scene. Like, you don't know what's going to happen to them after. There's no epilogue, mm. no mm. coda, mm. And, and, and I shouldn't say that, Edgar, you actually did put a really good coda in there. Mm. But at that moment when the scene happens, I just thought, really? like, Yes, but I think that that is tainted by the fact that films after this did it as well. But every film before did as well. Okay. So there wasn't, there's nothing ar- novel my, about it. My argument is... He's going to argue because he loves that, this film. <laughs> yeah, damn right. Um, it's foreshadowed in that he meets Yvonne, who's with her little crew of survivors. Not not knocking that. Tells them... And she says, "Oh, what do you know? What are you going to do?" But says, "We're going to the Winchester." Every film, twenty-eight weeks later, that's how that happens because yeah. they get picked up by the army. But Day of the Dead. That's all. That's why they're in the army bunker. Like it's always as if the army no, is somehow going to rescue us from the zombie it. apocalypse. People need to get it through their heads that may not happen. But you hope that it does. <laughs> do exactly, you know I mean? and like, that's that's all I'm saying. With a film that was a otherwise, comedy... otherwise though, you get into post-apocalyptic films. I think, and that's where I like. I like the actual ending of the film where, you know, he, you get the feet, uh, which is like in uh, Day of the Dead, no, in uh, Dawn of the Dead, sorry, uh, the feet coming into frame, like like it happened earlier in the film. And, and you may be pointing out where, because the only person ever truly did this differently the right way a million times was, mm. was Romero. Mm. When the army shows up mm. and the, in the end of the you know Night of the Living Dead, mm. that's not actually what you're looking at. You're looking at all the shit that's still going on. Mm. From I mean, there's all sorts of qualms right, of racism right, right. in that, right? Yeah, yeah, that Dawn of the Dead's right. even better because... You know, there's really no rescue in that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just kind of oh, goes on. Day actually, of the Dead. I actually watched it after I watched it. Did you? I haven't. I had the whole like... thing on box. I haven't watched those films in a long time because I usually start with one. I'm like, I gotta watch them all now. Yeah. So, but that was. <laughs> it's a fair gripe. Let me let me tell you it this way. It's yeah. because I have high expectations for Edgar Wright. Mm. Okay, not because I think he's a genius, but because this is something he's good at. He's good at coming up with a creative solution to something that is normal yeah and he didn't do it here for me yeah. now i i totally hear what you're saying when i was watching it last night and then you have the coda i was like oh well wait some of this is part of the comedy element like you have to have the happy ending so right. how else 
Are you going to get, you know, Nick Frost as a zombie playing video games? Yes. Trisha having zombie. Yeah, on, you, you know, know, you need all that. She's still married to a zombie. It's not nostalgia, but it's like a reference yeah, to English yeah, people yeah. to be like, everything's okay Zombied now. We, by, su- uh, we survived the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. We're having our cups of tea. They're using, they're using zombies. That's right. Like trolley, it's it's uh, exactly how it would go in this country. We would be like, well, <laughs> they use them in like the I don't think we, I don't think we should kill them. No, 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 not kill them. We must find a use for them. How can we use them? I don't know. Let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> uh, but so that was the worst. Scene yeah, for no, me. I just because I, I was like, and it, it's not sloppy. I wouldn't say it was sloppy. It just uh, I was I was like, oh, you. It's could've... very interesting, and it's so sudden as well. Yeah, is yeah. the other thing. Yeah, it's very interesting um, from a production standpoint. I think because uh, they had very little time to shoot that ending. It's you know what it reminded me of. Mm. And now that it just reminded me of, so it wasn't like when I was watching it reminded me of, but yeah. it's um <laughs> my favorite and least favorite endings because I always wonder what would have been mm. is the end of Holy Grail, which every oh. like if you're a friend of Holy <laughs> yeah. Grail, you know they've literally ran out of money, so they're like ah oh, crap, we've got to finish yeah. the movie now. So they're like kill that guy, yay! And it was like what they just get arrested? Yeah, and you're like what just happened here? <laughs> And it, like, yeah. as a kid, I watched that and I was like, I don't really get that comedy bit. And yeah. I, like, for years, I just thought I was not in the know. And I was like, maybe I just don't find those things funny. Until, like, somebody was like, no, dude, like, listen to the, this was before DVD commentary. Yeah, so yeah. I had to go find it. And I found it on the internet. They were like, no, the end of the Holy Grail ends that way. Because literally, that day, they get on set and they're like, oh, crap, we're out of money. Which, trust me, does happen. You're like, oh, yeah, no, there's not enough money to do any of this anymore. Sometimes it's the only one. That's a wrap. (laughs) No other way. So they just killed the professor. (laughs) So that's kind of what it was to me. It was like, uh, I think you could have planned something else here, but Mm. you need to end it now because you've not got, probably, as you said, maybe he's not got budget. So let's bring in the police, let's bring in the the army, and let's solve this, and then move it on to the coda that I've already probably shot, because I always knew it was going to be there. Right, right, right. right, So that's all I mean, is is if I was going to improve one thing about that film, it would have been that final scene. I said, make him do something else. I don't know. I don't know what it would have been. Like, that's the thing, and I hate that, by the way, Edgar Wright, so you can fully tweet me and be like, you're a jerk, because you're criticizing without a solution. I, if I had a solution, I'd give it, but I couldn't think right. of how I would end that, but mm. I just wish it was ended differently. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. So, specific questions? Yeah. All right. Uh, why do you think that this film has become a cult classic? Mm. Hmm. It is arguably um, the thing that, you know, got these guys out there. I, yeah, and, and that's why I say call it classic, because obviously I write all these questions before, and Ed adds some, some things to them, but usually I, I write the script at work for this, and this was just one of those things, I think it's, I wrote it because when it came out, and I saw it in college, I thought, oh, might be a nice blip, mm. I was surprised, the guy who showed it to me was one of my, one of my best friends in college, the guy I did a radio show with, mm. um, you know, good times. Uh, Aaron and Aaron was not like a horror guy right. like I, we were famous for being movie guys we used to watch Wrath of Khan was our thing yeah. man. we just Khan oh. exactly yeah. right and so he brought it to me and I was like crashing over to his place and it was like well, how did you find this if all my mates had it yeah and I was like I thought it would just be a throwaway film I really thought I'd never hear about it again I mm. got to Korea mm. which was probably like a year later yeah yeah 2005 is when I moved to Korea and everybody was talking about it. Becky had it in her movie collection. I'm like, is this a really popular film? She's like, yeah, it's really funny. So we watched it again. And mm. we could always get people to come over and watch it with it. I must have watched it like six or seven times that yeah. year. 
And it's just kind of stood the test of time, but not in a way that people say like it's a seminal film. I would say it's probably on some top comedy lists, you know, a lot of different places. Yeah, it got voted like the second, no, the third funniest. But that happens yeah. a couple of years after it comes yeah, out. Yeah, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I would have expected to hit a high mark and then it goes into, trust me, that's the coolest thing about going through different eras. You can pull mm. out all sorts of films that no one talks about anymore. Yeah, that were yeah, yeah. Really good for the time. I think, uh, I think, it, yeah, no, it's, it's, so I guess my answer is, I don't really know, Ed. What do you think? I think in connection to kind of the following question, how has it aged? Um, I think it stood the test of time. I think it's still funny. Yeah. I think uh, even though there are a lot of references of their time, um, it's still a brilliantly made film by young filmmakers who were like going through their first experience of, of making a proper, you know, uh, first feature. It's interesting because we were talking about the aging bit and it's interesting to the test of time. So the other way, and this might be another tip for you filmmakers out there. The other thing it does is put itself in a particular time, mm. which that helps drum up the nostalgia. When I was True. watching that, you get nostalgic because yeah. it takes you back to 2004, which I know sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> for us, that's the way it is. Like yeah, it yeah. was a different time. I, I'm certainly much more nostalgic about the nineties cause that's when I was a kid, but yeah, eighties, nineties, do you know what I mean? But, but this thing was like, cause this is now 15 years ago. I was like, Oh yeah, man. I remember when we listened to that music or I remember when this, and to be fair, London still pretty much looks like that. That was the cool mm-hmm. part. I was like, Aside from a couple cosmetic changes, because this was all North London and they yeah, shot it. Yeah, short and crouch and I think. Yeah, and Finchley and yeah. um, in Fen- you know, Finsbury Circle Church, yeah, yeah. and all that. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, it hasn't aged incredibly well, but I think that's another reason it does stand the test of time. It's mm. kind of a, a catch-22. Yeah. So because you've encapsulated, you know, because you have Trisha on there... And all those elements and Coldplay. That's right. So because you have all of those, I think people will always go back to films like that when they want. It's like Forrest Gump for the baby boomers. You go back to that because it reminds you of good times. Right. And so I think that's another reason it has longevity. Yeah. Um, We talked about the aging and I'll bring it up now because I thought it was a good discussion before we had the podcast. We were talking about the only thing I said to add is I said, funny, it's slow though. Yeah. It's really slow for a modern film. Yeah. And and I have I guess in fifteen years time you slowly it's it's like it's like you know if you were a DJ you're slowly turning that turntable up. Mm. It just seems like movies now have to be more phonetic yeah. to get you know watch Baby Driver versus this Baby yeah. Driver is a Boom. pulsating film compared to Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead starts out so quiet yeah. and it was like oh yeah there was an error and it's the only reason I would say this because when I go back to old 60s films because I do that I love the old like silver era and golden era of, of film mm. um, that's part of the stuff I get from like my stepfather and my mother and, and stuff like that like those films always seem slow to me mm-hmm. like everything is so dramatic yeah. and so drawn out but that's because at the time that's how films were made mm. they were very grandiose yeah, they were yeah. meant to be more deliberate like yeah, that yeah, yeah. so I guess it's answered both my both for me like it's a cult classic because it encapsulates England during a certain time. Mm. It encapsulates the zombie craze yeah. and the times we went through that. Um, it ages okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still always going to be a two thousand four film. I don't think it's going to be one of those films that you're going to look at. And this is important to bring up in our top five because I'll mm. have five films. So I'll have five films, but this film today looks like a 2004 film and feels like a 2004 film. Yeah, it's a, it's a film of its time. The one thing that I will say, though, uh, for the beginning, is that from a filmmaker's standpoint, it's really interesting. 
because the way it reveals all the characters that are actually at that conversation yeah. is brilliant. Well, it's, again, we talked about it a couple of times ago. Again, I'm always referencing the tropes from Save the Cat, but the, one of the things that's talked about in screenwriting is in the first 10 minutes, you have to get all your characters in. He did that the Winchester. Beautiful. And he does it, and it's you, you don't even notice that he's done it. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. have to do that. Like, if you <laughs> if you do it longer than that, do it at your own peril. Because people will it's start... It's like being... when, when, when Liz says, oh, and, you know, that's this is why I bring out my, my housemates. Which, you know, you don't really get along with. And then you reveal that the housemates are right there. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the guy they talk about, Ed, is, you know, just behind them. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love it. Okay. Um, okay. So, from a filmmaker's point of view, what did you take away having watched it before? You know, before you yeah. Kind so of taking my average Joe glasses off and putting yeah. my filmmaker again, it's it's a master class again because we referenced Rodriguez. It's a master class in low budget shooting, and low budget shooting is is this is what I would mean. <sighs> It's not that things look cheap. That's what everybody freaking thinks. God, I hang out at horror conventions and I'm so sick of people saying I'm making a low-budget film so it has to look cheap. No, the best low-budget films. And go watch you know, the shorts with people I work with like Katie Bonham. She is a, a brilliant artist that knows how to take a little bit of money and make it go really far. Edgar Wright is one of those people. Why? Because he shows you how planning how timing, mm. how getting that all right, and this is what the producer loves to hear from his directors, mm. will make a better looking film. Mm. He's not enhancing anything for you, but he's equally making sure that everything is so well timed mm. that you're not going to have to waste money on things. Yeah. And you can tell. I wasn't there when he was shooting this. I can just tell yeah, yeah. from the way the shots are done mm. that he literally had the set ready to go and knew that he could do this in nine weeks mm. and that it was going to get done. Yeah. And I said, the ending is probably the reason I picked up on that because right. I was like, this is abrupt. And yeah, everything yeah, else yeah. has been so well laid Smoothly aside done. from yeah. this scene. So there you go. Like, that's what you yeah. need to learn. No, you don't have to learn how to make something look really pretty on camera. Yeah. Trust me, we'll get some grading done and mm -hmm. we'll get it done that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or we're going to dress it with lights to make it look even. Our, our guy, Sash, he does this. Sash Kassoon, that is one of the things I'm amazed at some of the DOP he does mm -hmm. because he can take lighting and make cheap things it's, look really expensive things, right so you can do that because it's all a show mate it's not it's not for real so we're going to mm -hmm. make it look a certain way yeah. however if you haven't put the script together properly if you haven't got your shot list down like i want it if you haven't put things in a in a, in a sequence order and done this well before you get to shooting yeah. then we are screwed and yeah. you're going to spend a lot of money that's what bad filmmakers do right. and some of them do make a lot of money not yeah. every director out there that you see on this on the this you know on the big well screen yeah. is that that you can watch behind the scene commentary on why some of these guys really screw it up because mm. they just go as I you know not the biggest one that comes to mind was the stuff the way i was screaming at the screen with the hobbit behind the scene stuff because <laughs> i love peter jackson he's one of my favorite directors mm. but I don't know. I feel like he must have been Proust from production because you have like the one I always tell to Ed is the the scene with the goblins. So perfect example of this. Lord of the Rings, uh, not Lord of the Rings, sorry, the Hobbit trilogy. First one, they have to go to the goblin caves, right? So originally that scene is shot with six goblin actors mm. who are given intensive training mm. from the guy who does that. If you watch enough behind the scenes, you realize there's one guy, I can't remember his name, but I know exactly mm. what he looks like. Mm. He does all the this is how a goblin moves bit and they right. take you know, training on that for God knows how long. Mm -hmm. They do all the scenes and then they have to factor in other things. This is all, you know, three days of shooting is spent. 
with these actors in there who are all sitting around doing nothing in the all time. Then there's a whole other week that goes by which they show them sitting around doing nothing and then they come back to do some reshoots. Mm -hmm. And then Peter Jackson decided at the end that he'd rather CGI all the goblins. Yeah. Listen, like as a producer, that would infuriate me yeah. because it's like that is so much wasted money. And I, I, it, it hits me on two levels. One, that sometimes I believe, you know, I just think that kind of wastefulness is not just disrespectful to the industry, but it's disrespectful to people in general. Like, mm. and Peter, I'm not saying you're disrespectful to people in no, general. No, and that's, I'm just that's, saying that's, like people that's don't. A very specific situation where he he was brought on way yeah, late. Yeah, I'm and... just saying like that kind of the ability that we allow that to happen in the film industry when we literally have like countries burning. To I me, think, I think just a, bugs a, me. A more a more recent example would be Cats, and what happened with that. Where, I didn't even want to go there, maybe because yeah. I like, mean, because like, how much money was spent? That's hundred million spent on that film. At least I think it was. Uh, and no, no mocap. And this is no. the thing. So you say this is the problem you have, and this is why you need to do your research. You say a hundred million. Oh man, I got plenty of money. Yeah, to make loads film. of money. No, like hundred million. Disappears. You have to make it look like a hundred million, yeah. and that's why you know it's one of the things we can't knock about Rise of Skywalker. Okay, because I love to knock that film, don't I? But. J.J. Abrams knows that. It looked good. He, you know, yeah. I, could, I could work with him because, and, and God knows I could work with anybody. I'm just being facetious right now. But, you know, I could work with it because clearly he knew the film has to get delivered. Like, yeah. you have to do it. Bad films, the ones that you're like, man, that was, are like cats. The film doesn't deliver. Yeah. You know? Mocap would have solved that problem so quickly yeah. in Cats. Yeah. yeah. It's a musical. They're so, not easy to do, but... I think uh, and I've worked myself up now so I'm going to give it over to Ed <laughs> for me Shaun the Dead um, gave me a sense of style when I was first thinking about being a filmmaker which he has as a yeah, filmmaker I think, it's one of Ed's uh, things you know I'd, I'd seen space when I was in high school and um, and I remember it having an impact on me but then seeing it on film and just seeing where he got his references from and you know, like, oh, I love, I love Lethal Weapon. And he's, like, using, you know, things from Lethal Weapon. Or he's using, you know, certain shots from other films. And it's like, this is a guy who... And understand, this is before... Now everything does that. Okay? Yeah. Now absolutely everything, you know, Rise of Skywalker, uh, Lord of the Rings. Like, everything references everything. Back in 2004, it didn't. Like, I that mean, wasn't it, as common to see. Yeah, it, it didn't in a good way. You know, like yeah. films that ripped other films off, there's always been stuff around, right? Except for spoofs. Spoofs are Yeah, all... like, you know, but... I love spoofs. I, I, I do too. But see, this is uh, this is really important. I'm glad that you brought that up. Spoof. To me, this is not a spoof. No, it's not. Nope. And it annoys me when people say, oh, it's a zombie spoof. No, no, no. If you want a spoof, because it came around at the same time, you know, what Scary Movie, which came out a couple years before, they made five of them. Those are all spoof films. Yeah. And the, the key with a spoof... If you're writing a spoof, is you have to stick to like the original script as much as possible, because like if you watch Scary Movie, it is Scream with some funny bits. Right. It's the same script. It's the exact same script, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. Spoofs tend to be line for line following. Yeah. If you watch Airplane, that is the disaster films. That yeah. is, you know, watch. Whereas this is to me an homage, an homage to a genre, to a type of filmmaking that honors it 
while still trying to be its own story. I was going to say, like, that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't put it as far as an homage. It's a story. It's a well-written story that, that happens to take place in the zombie apocalypse. And because he knows, in the background, that isn't the crux of his film, he knows it's not really a zombie film. That's why the homage comes in. Because he's saying, I do respect you, zombie films. I'm using yeah. you to help propel my story, my mm. comedic story. Mm. However, thanks for giving but me all George, these great things George in the past. Romero turned around and said, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, you of know? course he did. And he invited them to, to be in Land of the Dead. They have like little cameos. Uh, Romero's, Romero's last good zombie film. Yeah, I have uh, issues with that. With Land of the Dead? Yeah. Okay, a lot of people did. That's, that is his last, I mean, because after that comes, there's two after that. One is the, the first one he does on Steadicam, mm. which I watched. And then I bought The Survival of the Dead, which is the last Romero zombie right. film, and I never watched it. Yeah, I haven't seen either of them. So. Like, to me, the Steadicam, to me, there's a, tr- there's a trilogy. No, well, uh, no, quadrilogy. Because that's the, f- oh, you don't like Land of the Dead. It's not that I don't like Land of the Dead. It's that I think that... I don't think it does the same. It doesn't do the things that I loved from the first three. Sure. I think with Romero, and we're getting a side tangent here, which is cool because I love Romero. Uh, rest in peace, my good man. Um, with Romero, you have to understand that everything he writes is a social commentary. Right. So you couldn't have a social commentary in Land of the Dead like you would have in Dawn of the Dead. Right. He That was his thing. Yeah. So, Night of the Living Dead's one. Dawn of the Dead's similar, but takes it to another level. And I think yeah. that's why most people would say that, because it builds. Day of the Dead, that's the thing. People remember that differently, because most of us saw that when we were much younger. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it. That's a commentary on the 80s and the Cold War mm-hmm. and, and all that funny stuff, mm-hmm. which now just seems hilarious to me. But in the time, we were all like well within it. Mm-hmm. And if you were watching those films, you would think it was an arc, but it's not really. Those are three... Really, those are three separate films. And yeah. then Land of the Dead comes out in the 90s to talk about some of the issues. 2006. Yeah. So, but it talks about some of the excesses of the late 90s that we right. moved into in the new millennium. Right. So, that's why you have Dennis Hopper in it and John Leguizamo. Yeah. These are people he would normally never put in his films. Mm. But because we started having the excess of celebrity yeah. in the late 90s, this starts going folding over into that. Yeah. I, I guess it didn't hit me as hard no, as no, no, no. social I commentary in the first I don't films, think it know? does. It's not the same type of film either. Mm. That's the thing it's not like if i saved the cat the whole thing i could tell you that the, you know night of the living dead day the dawn of the dead and, and day of the dead would probably follow similar arcs plot wise i could probably mm. put them on the chart the same way where land mm. of the dead is a completely different type of story right because and i feel a little bit bad for romero as well because i think that the success of the the dead trilogy made it so that whenever he did something else people weren't that's true. Super so, I mean, yeah, it's the kind of thing, I don't know if you've seen some of this. So, his other really good stuff is like The Crazies was really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great film. I'm trying to think of other Didn't good Didn't he women. do one about a young, a young guy who's a vampire? Yeah, and I can't remember what that one's called. That's very out there, um, but really good. Yeah, Romero was a good, good filmmaker. Yeah, good I mean, filmmaker. that's the thing. Like, he had, especially his later zombie films, definitely fell flat. So, Obviously, the one after Land of the Dead is the one where he tried to get in because everyone that was the Blair Witch era, yeah, and so he was trying to get in it because he realized footage. that this was a big deal. And this is why sometimes you have to give him more credit because it happens. Like he had realized that this was going to pick up, and this was—I mean, this is in the era of YouTube forming mm. and what we live in now, mm. where everybody has access to a camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was trying to encapsulate what that would mean. I think the problem is the cast in that film, mm. and I can't remember what it's called now. 
Survival of the Dead is the sequel to that. Yeah. And those are direct. That's a direct sequel to that yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. And and the problem is he used a really young cast in it, mm. and I don't think he really understood mm. how that worked for that young cast. Right. Like it was like he was trying to tell a story. Yes. It's a bit like how we talk about George Lucas. George Lucas sometimes fails in his ideas with Star Wars because he's out of touch yes. with a modern Star Wars audience. Right. Which made me kind of cringe when I saw a headline two days ago that was like. George Lucas is doing a Star Wars film? Yeah. Is that I mean, a they're, fake, they're, fake headline? No, they're or? talking. There's rumours that um, they want Feige to run Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to stay at Marvel and at Disney because he's just getting... He's just you know, he's going to end up CEO of Disney. That'd um, be cool. But there, there's some rumblings that they want George back to do another Star Wars film. Okay. I you know I agree with you. Crashed and burned before, not because George George Lucas. You you know obviously you did something back in the seventies, and and I'm not saying you're bad now. I'm just saying the films that you created in the original trilogy seemed seemed very out of touch. Yeah. Like it just seemed that you knew where you wanted to go with it, and your direction on it was really clear. Mm. It just seemed that no one else really thought it was that interesting. Yeah, I mean capturing the zeitgeist is. A very hard thing to do. Incredibly difficult. I mean, that's hence why we're sitting in a you know in the back room of a of a Love Victoria Productions, which is out of Ed's house. You know what I mean? If, if we had captured that Zed guys, we'd have our you know million dollar film out there. Yeah. So so I get that point, but um, and I guess going back to Shaun of the Dead, like that's mm. why I would say like it's not really an homage. He's not. He loves those films, and mm. I could tell that. But he has definitely written his own story yeah. there, and so that's why I would say I it's, it's, that. it's not derivative at all at all. Whereas so many things today, I mean, we live in the era of homage and derivative, and that's why I'm saying that. Like, I yeah. wouldn't want to place it's them become in become a bit of a dirty word. Well, it's it's easy money. Mm-hmm. Remakes Nostalgia. are e-ma- yeah, remakes yeah. are easier money than basing it off a book someone right. might have read. You know. Right, right, right. Um, okay, uh, but it does kind of lead us on to uh, the zombie era. Yeah, this is the last last kind of bit. So yeah. before we sign off, I just. It was because this brought up a lot of things for me. So I've been a horror junkie since six years old. Exorcist, which we're debating whether that's going to be one of my top films or not. I think it will be. But, you know, the zombie era was a long era. Mm. And it it started with 28 Days Later, really. I mean, it started earlier than that, obviously. The the, the Renaissance, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, so you have Night of the Living Dead, you have Dawn of the Dead, and then in the 70s you have Umpteen, which I used to own all of these. I mean, this is the the, the collections that have now either been stolen or I've sold on eBay. But there were Umpteen zombie movies in the 70s. And Lucio Fulci writes the gory ones, so if you want the ones where you're just going to throw up halfway through because they're that gory, Mm. check his stuff out. Italian horror. Any of his, well, that's his thing, that's what he's known for, is Fulci was that guy. Um, he did Zombie 2 is the one everyone knows because that's when the woman gets the nail through the, the, the splinter through the eye. But I'd agree. 2002 was the release date of 28 Days Later. Fine. Danny Boyle. So, so that kicks off the renaissance. Mm-hmm. And it came out. And like I said, when I went and saw it, I, I didn't get it. I was like, this is crap. Where are the mm-hmm. zombies? The film that did it for me, which comes out, I think, two years later, is mm-hmm. not Shaun of the Dead. It's Dawn of the Dead. The remake. The remake. And I'm that, pretty sure that that was... Maybe it's 2003. Because I saw that in college as well. Um, Edge is checking for us. Yeah, I. it's 2004. That's Same I, year as... That's um, what I thought. Because I remember seeing that. I went to the theaters to see that. And that, unlike 28 Days... I remember saying that, leaving the theater, being like, that's what 28 Days Later 
should have been. Yeah, no, it was, it's a really good... It was brutal. Really it was film. brutal. And it was based on a film that I bought afterwards because I hadn't... You know, this is Truth Being Truths. I hadn't seen Dawn of the Dead yet. Yeah. I'd heard about it, but I'd yeah, seen yeah, Night yeah. of the Living Dead is always the classic, yeah. the black and white. I didn't really know much more about Romero. I watched... And I, was, I watched... After I was more of a Fulci guy because I liked the gore. So yeah. I picked up Dawn of the Dead and then watched that and was like, wow, social commentary. Yeah. So off the tail of this comes The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sets the stage for everything being about zombies for a while. But I would, right. if you were to watch my personal favorite during the zombie era, it, it came out when I right when I moved here. So 2008 or 2009. Okay. Has my guy Andy Nyman in it. It's one of your best roles, Andy. Dead Set. Dead Set. Oh, that's a really good Dead film. Set is a zombie f- zombie show set on the on Big Brother. And if you yeah. don't live in England, it might mean nothing to you. Because when I first heard the concept, I was like, so what? Because I didn't know the phenomenon that was Big Brother in England. That was a series, right? That was a It was mini-series. six films, yes, because Davina McCall yeah. plays her role in that. And then yeah. she becomes Davina, zombie Davina. That, for me, is the pinnacle of the zombie era. Like, That's it was really a great film. That. We It came out in six different episodes. And we waited. Like, I remember it came out in September. It's when I was living in Stratford yeah, yeah, with yeah. Becky. We would come home on a Friday, sit down, get a beer out. And it was like, man, we got to watch this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was that was the high rank. And then Walking Dead was coming out at the same time. Walking Dead is one of those things that kind of killed the zombie era. Because yeah, it started it out, watch the first maybe three or four seasons yeah. of, of Walking Dead. I haven't watched the most recent one, so I'm, I'm sorry I shouldn't really be saying this, but I completely lost interest after like season six because mm-hmm. it just went on for too long. Yeah. And so that's what I mean. People started realizing maybe zombies aren't the be all and end all. Mm. I think the other reason I wanted to bring them up is zombie films allow you to do a lot of things, some of which I've mentioned already. Yeah, yeah, baby. If you want to do the zombie things, zombie films allow you to kill people and not really care about their deaths. Yeah. Or at least make their deaths very quick. Yeah. So Walking Dead did that. Dead Set certainly does that. Mm. All the Romero films do that. And Shaun of the Dead, mm. again, the reason he can put this in a comedy is because when his parents die, when the other people die, you know, mm. most of the people that are in the cast are yeah. dead by the it's end of the film. Dying. Yeah, you know, even dead. even in some of the dead people come back at the end. It's really mm. quite funny. Yeah. But you can do that because it's a zombie film. Yeah. And so this allowed people writing stories to take some liberties with kind of how they were going to make things play out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think that was part of the benefit of the zombie era. And I, I, it's just curious to me now, sorry with my rant nearly over, as to why we moved out of it. Like, that definitely was a reflection of us looking at society and saying we're afraid of this. We're afraid mm-hmm. of, you know, the Metaba virus killing us all and us being this way. But we're not like that anymore. I think uh, there is a kind of perhaps an oversaturation um, I mean, one of my favorite films from the zombie era is called Black Sheep. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it's about zombie sheep. Yeah, the one set in New Zealand. I, is I, it I, in just, New Ze- I thought it was Wales. But yeah. No, no, no. It's brilliant. I saw that at a midnight screening. God, one of the Fright Fests. Yeah. I guess when I used to go to all the films. So good. Um, but maybe, you know, once Brad Pitt is starting to star in zombie films. Ah, uh, but that's what I mean. I liked World War Z. I did too. I but I think that it it went so mainstream that this is, and we've talked about it before, like the danger for superhero movies is oversaturation as well. And that's what I'm saying. I'm putting out something novel here and I, I mm. completely, you know, we can argue about it, we can disagree with it. Mm. I don't think it's that. I don't think superhero movies will be like that. I think it's the end of the zeitgeist. 
In other words, you don't have an oversaturated... Trust me, if if it had been that zombie films had been oversaturated or superhero films had been oversaturated, mm. we would have stopped making them like for superhero films like five years ago. No, I, I, I realize that. What I'm saying is that I think that once, you know, The Walking Dead becomes the highest rated TV show ever, but then it starts falling off a little bit. Again, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think... The end of the zombie era is yeah. the is I think you're talking about the consequence of the end of the zeitgeist. So in other words, all of these things happen for a reason, in my view. And this is just my view, it's because I want you know, hero's journey, all this stuff about archetypes, you know, all this stuff. So if we're getting really deep on this one, like that meant something to everybody in the world at the mm. time it came out, at least in pop culture. Mm. So in pop culture, for some reason, we had this fear of everybody turning on each other and killing each other and mm. only being a few of us left. I can't tell you why. I don't know what was happening in history at that time mm. that we felt that way. We had the Iraq wars, so that might be part of it. We had the Bush era. But there was a lot of things in between there. But it mm. definitely was the sentiment, the feeling that people had that they wanted to go to these films. Mm. Right now, and I think you hit it right on the head, the zeitgeist is superhero films. Mm. For some reason, we have this obsession right now with myths like that, right. with the superhero myths. I think what happens is that something just changes in our collective minds yeah. and that we move on to different things. I think you're probably right. I think the Western, we still see that's, Westerns. That's, that's one, yeah. So often, Western was one of them, yeah. There was a time when every other movie was, was a Western. Western, right? And yeah. no one quite knows. As I said, you say oversaturation. I'm not, I think that's the consequence. I think that's what okay. we tell ourselves. We say, oh, it's oversaturated, so we're going to see it. But no, man, there's, mm. how many freaking superhero films are out now and how much are they grossing? I think, but that's that's my worry for them because I, I love superhero films. No, it was like that last year. It yeah, was like that, you know, Avengers but, Endgame makes all that money. And it, right, but I think that where they are innovating and keeping ahead of, of it's just the same thing over again, is the interconnectivity of the universe. Sure, okay. Um, it's the mixing of genres. When you look at Winter Soldier and Captain America's uh, Civil War, mm -hmm. like how... They're spy movies, you know, for the most part. No spoilers. I haven't seen Civil War. I mean, I've seen Civil War right. in the past, but I'm about to watch You've seen it again, Winter so. Soldier, though, right? Yes, of course. That feels very much like a spy movie, just with superheroes, you okay. know? Uh, and um, I think that that's one way that they're being able to expand the longevity of it, you know? But who knows, I just, right? I, and I guess that's, I guess that, yeah, and that's why, if I felt like it was on its dying breath, like, mm -hmm. I would be like, yeah, totally, but I don't, and I didn't yeah, feel... I remember I we had a conversation where you were like, I'm done with superheroes. Oh, movies. man, I do feel like that sometimes, but I didn't, then I don't, and that's what I mean, that's the collective psyche, then I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I could do some more. I should have felt that way after The Dark Knight. To me, that is the, the ultimate superhero the pinnacle, film, isn't it? Yeah. because that was just, it's just the lines at the end, it's like, mm. we're going to have to hunt him, because that's mm. what he needs to do. Mm. Like, that was trying to tell people something, and that was our general feeling about, yeah, this is how it is in the world. If you try mm. to do something good, you just get screwed. Right, 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 right. I mean, that's what that is. That's the zeitgeist. Yeah. It's people saying, there are no heroes in this world, because the minute you're a hero long enough, mm. you just get made out to be the villain. Yeah. So that made sense to me, mm. and that, that should have been the high watermark, and then we just kept going. And, and zombie films, like, 28 Days Later, you know what I mean? Shaun of the Dead, like, the, the, the peak would have hit much earlier, but it kept going for mm. so long. Yeah, I think there's also the whole, they're cheap to make, and they sell well. Okay. So I think that that probably helped it kind of keep going. It's just, yeah. Because you had the... Those types of things are terribly, you know, vampires are the ones that have these like short, 
popular movements. Mm. So the la- latest one that we all remember was Twilight, which right. most of us like that were part of the old vampire movements were like, no, this is not right. Yeah, I mean, when you compare but it I, to Interview with Vampire. Well, but that's a complete, that's that's the Anne Rice vampire. Right, right, so right. Anne Rice's vampire are generally, I mean, if you get into the books, they are generally, they'd be very popular today. I don't know, maybe we should make another one. But, you know, they're very old school vampires. Mm. They're, they're, you know, thousands of years old yeah, and, yeah. and very melancholy, mm. very gothic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Also, you know, openly bisexual, yeah. like in the books at least. Yeah, like, yeah. that was a big deal of that 90s era vampire mm. kind of expressing this openness and oneness to being mm. eternal and mm. how insane your life would be yeah. if you did live forever. Whereas Twilight was interesting because it took that on its head. That's why I, I think I mentioned it on the podcast before. I know I have. I'm not sure I've edited it out, but fundamentally I had a problem with Twilight because mm. of the way she addresses it at the end. Right. So I watched all five films and mm. read the books. And, and yeah. to be fair, like, they're not bad. You yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. books were certainly interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. I definitely read through all the way through it. Mm. But at the end of the, you know, spoilers, if you haven't, spoilers, at the end of the books, it's like, and we all lived happily ever after in our little river cottage. But you live for fucking ever. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, that, that's just, and the problem was. It that, goes against. The problem the was, is you had like girls reading this, you right. know, like teenage girls Mid- that are like, I'm, go- I'm going to marry, and this is just going to be like, I am a happily married man, okay? And Ed knows this because, God, he hears more about my marriage than anybody else. But let me tell you, like, it's, it takes work. Mm. Like, even, I've only been married, what, for 10 years? Mm-hmm. And that requires so much effort, you know, because, not because my wife's a bad person, my wife's an awesome person, but because you live with people yeah, and you have right, to learn right. to get along with each other. Mm-hmm. And then the thought to me that, like, I'm going to spend 5,000 years in the same cottage with the same person, it was like, holy junk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Noah, would I not be like, wait, what? Yeah. I think where Shaun the Dead influenced the genre, okay, I think it was adding the comedy. I think there had always been like funny moments in even the Romero films. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you that. have like the, the sometimes people find it funny when they rip open the guy because it's like yeah, that's yeah, so yeah. not real. The, but... the, the the kills and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The splatter and stuff like that. But when you're looking at like Zombie Land and you know Black Sheep. Oh, and... Zombie Land. Yeah. Did you watch the second one? I never watched the second no, one. No, because I read the reviews. Oh, they yeah. just said it wasn't very Zombie good. Zombie was really good. And the other one I haven't watched, which I, I should because I usually love his films. Jim Jarmusch did Adam Driver and... Um, most, oh, What's yes. it called? It's a zombie. It's Bill Murray. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I really want to watch that. Yeah. I do and I don't because the reviews said it was terrible, really, but I'm like, really you know really what? Like, it's Jim Jarmusch. I'm very forgiving I've watched. I've films. watched... What is, what is the... Not the worst Jim Jarmusch, but I watched... His one with Johnny Depp because I used to have the entire. I used to have every Johnny Depp Dead film Man? ever made. Yes, Dead Man. Yeah, that film is bizarre. Like it makes no it. sense yeah. whatsoever. Ghost Dog is one of my favorite. Films. Oh my god! Yeah, Forrest Whitaker, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 The Urban Samurai. Jim Jarmusch, man, a weird guy, but yeah. man, his films. Proper filmmaker. Proper. Film. God, that's probably the first deep dive I actually did was a Johnny Depp collection. Yeah. So when I was in college, I bought every single film he was. This was before. This is right before Pirates came out. Yeah. So I like to say I was on the bandwagon, but yeah, yeah. like because I was always talking about him to people because what's eating Gilbert Grape? Like that could have taken place in my backyard, like where That's I grew a up. Good film. But it's it's very Midwest, like it's yeah, very yeah. like Podunk Midwest. And don't get me wrong, I get nothing wrong with Podunk Midwest, but we have a lot of issues because we're isolated from the yeah, rest of the world, yeah. and you know it's like it's like you know elements are like North Korea because we mm. just don't have access to things. I guess. Anyways, 
He did that film. Johnny Depp was also in a bunch of other good ones at that time. Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands. But I'm moving forward. Like, there's all these little ones he was in mm. that people were like, oh, that's Johnny Depp. Mm. Uh, Fear and Loathing being probably my oh, favorite. I am, um, you know, I was. As your lawyer, I recommend you bring That was me. Like, that was probably the. the that was probably the catharsis for, or the, the reason that I did the Johnny Depp collection was Fear and Loathing because mm. of his, I was obsessed with Hunter Hunters, S. Thompson, yeah. Thompson and his lawyer um, who died, unfortunately. You have to watch all the commentary and behind the scenes to, to know about Hunter S. Thompson's lawyer, mm. but he died. He was killed by the you know the Hispanic gangs. Oh, right. Yeah, so this is the thing. Like I became obsessed with, you know, I'm an obsessive person as you're finding out. So I became obsessed with Fear and Loathing because it said a lot of things about how I felt at that part of my life. Mm. Um, it was definitely very reflective of the way I was. Mm. Um, and so I wanted to know more about why it was this way. Mm. And I didn't, because I didn't grow up in the 60s and 70s. Right, and this right, was all right. about that. So got behind that. But then you I found out that Johnny Depp like spent six months in Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson right. is nuts. Like, yeah. have met the guy, like he, before he killed himself. Like, he's bizarre. Like, yeah, he's yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I was... In awe when I met him, but yeah, yeah. out there, like not nothing coherent there. Right. And Johnny Depp spent six months in this crazy man's basement yes. trying to learn the role. So I said, like, he's not getting enough name notoriety. Right, right, right. And so I hung out with this person at the time that was obsessed with him as well, mm. and we built the collection. And I had every single one of his films up to Prince Pirates of the Caribbean, mm. even The Brave, which was his film mm. um, that he made about natives. Because I think he, like myself, he's part Native American. Yeah, so he does have. Some connection. Some connection there. Best film for me, for him, though, just because I'm, I am a romantic at heart, is always going to be Don Juan DeMarco. Like, I love That's that good, film. I mean, that, that made him a heartthrob, didn't it? Oh, uh, it's just, it's such a great film. Mm. It's such a great film. It's a yeah. complete side tangent right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how we end our Johnny Depp podcast. Uh, yeah, so sorry, Johnny. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, so yeah, I think that it. brings us to the end of the first of the uh, the top ten. You know, I think it was a great choice, Ed. I, I really think for the, for the program, what we're trying to do here, you know, we are scattergun with the way we talk about it. But if you listen, we're trying to give you tips as to how we see things as filmmakers. And again, the thing with Edgar Wright is always remembering how he can do this on such a low budget. It's not because he uses cheap materials. It's because he's a talented filmmaker mm. that is showing you how to frame your he shots the vision. right way. That vision. foreshadowing bit, yeah. like I said, that saved you a ton of money because you did the same setup twice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we are going to sign off now. Please remember to subscribe, like, love us, whatever you can do. You can check us out at Facebook, Love Victoria Productions. Edward Burgos, Jason Chereau on Facebook, Instagram, and Nano LVP, Jazzy J. Chereau. Twitter, Mouth, Love Victoria. That's with the at symbol in the beginning if you need to get a hold of me. We are also on LinkedIn. There's a web page, or there's a page, sorry, for Love Victoria Productions. And also you can contact me as Jason Chereau if you'd like to do that. And then finally, the be all and end all that we want, you to visit you, we want you to visit as many times as possible, please, is www lovevictoriaproductions.com we can tear all our content to spell yeah, there yeah and you can keep up with what we're doing and uh, things that we've got planned that's right and there's, it's also an easy way to contact us there's literally a contact button on the page you can hit that if you've got projects you want help with if you want some advice if you just want to talk to us whatever man we are just down with film and liking out with filmmakers so please hit us up please tell me how wrong I am about Ash and Muse definitely definitely about Muse definitely I want to talk to you about that actually I'm getting a talking. Yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much for your time, and we will catch you on the next one, which we, yeah. which I have decided we are doing the Matrix. Oh, nice. And the Matrix has you.